Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Football season is weird because we actually look forward to Reaction Mondays. Sponsored by Mary Haven. Offering free help to gamblers and their loved ones. The Fan. Hello, friends. You're now listening to the Lifestyle, Leisure, and Sports Show. You never knew was two of those things. I think we can all acknowledge that if this fails, you two will be fired and I will remain. <laughs> so, no pressure. Bo Bishop, a regional media icon. Winner of Emmys. Purveyor of the good life. Sir, you don't know that for a fact. I just said I'm it on the radio. Also, two guys this company named Employee of the Month. What are you talking about? Paul Hogan is Hulk Hogan's brother. Uh, uh-huh. Look sure it up. Because it's Hulk sure Hogan. Is. That's his real name. One guy is from Australia. The other one is from Tampa. Maybe he's from Hollywood, brother. <laughs> Not brothers. Chops. Yes, they are. This is Bishop and Friends. All right, let's do a live on a Reaction Monday edition of the program. Bo and the boys with you. Austin will join in the 10 o'clock hour. Brandon Marcello, our buddy on the National Perspective, in the 11 o'clock hour. Sometimes I think we need a little bit of perspective, kids. Let's do a little bit of um, uh, a rehash of... Friday heading into this game between Ohio State and Penn State. This is where Penn State ranked nationally in scoring defense. They were second in passing yards defense. They were first in rush yards given up. They were second. This was by some metrics. In fact, the metrics that matter most, either the first or second best defense in the country coming into the horseshoe on Saturday. Um, It is a team that had upwards of eight First or second round draft picks in the next couple of NFL drafts, if you count the two running backs, the linebackers, the defensive ends, the left tackle, certainly the corner, all of those guys added up. You've got a lot of NFL talent in blue and white on Saturday. Um, You got a game that was a slugfest. You got a game that was a defensive masterclass. You got a game where two of the best defensive programs, teams in the country rather, slugged it out. And we did enough offensively and more than enough to get a win that was 20 to 12. And perhaps if you didn't watch the game, and I don't know who the hell wouldn't, made it seem a little bit closer than it was. Here's some more numbers for you. Penn State up until the last drive of the game was 0 of 15 on third down. 0 of 15. Remember, this was the one Achilles heel for Ohio State was the fact that they could not get off the field on third down. They did not have that problem against the Nittany Lions on Saturday. In fact, Drew Aller, the five-star quarterback out of Ohio, 18 of 42 for 191 yards in the game. 18 of 42. Penn State rushed it for less than 50 yards as a team. Less than two yards per carry in the game on Saturday. What I saw was a suffocating Buckeye defense that literally drew, drove Drew Aller to tears postgame. He was, he was holding back tears in the postgame press conference. I root for that kid every other week. Root for an Ohio kid at quarterback every other week. He was he will have better days. But he was so frustrated in the game on Saturday that in his post game he was reduced to tears. Ohio State did this with while playing without their number one cornerback. They did it with while playing without their number one running back and their one A receiver. None of them played. None of them played in this game. This was a, a comfortable Buckeye win. Twenty to six until the final drive when you're in prevent. And yet, 
as the day went along on Saturday, I started to hear things that I found to be quite frankly puzzling, including Adam Zucker, the uh, CBS halftime guy at halftime of the Alabama-Tennessee game, which was anything but brilliant football, who said, quote, about the Ohio State-Penn State game, neither of them looked like they could beat Michigan later this season. Now, I will acknowledge that Michigan's good. I would acknowledge that Michigan's won the last two games against Ohio State. I absolutely get it. But who exactly has Michigan played to lead you to believe that they are this juggernaut? And they might very well be. But the notion, and this continued, there was a, an ESPN hap update uh, anchor that I heard later in the day, and the quote was something along the lines of, Buckeyes survive ugly game in Columbus. This was two top 10 teams. This was a game that featured two elite defenses, two first-year starting quarterbacks. Perspective, people, is sometimes needed. Ohio State has two top 10 wins on the season. Is this Buckeye team fully formed? No. No, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody would suggest that it is. But this is a Buckeye team that has two top 10 wins, one on the road, one at home. They beat a legit talented Penn State team with a absolutely loaded defense. They beat them by two scores up until the last possession of the game when you're playing prevent. Kind of cruised by the time you get to the second half, suffocated them absolutely. And I get to hear about how they survived, how how neither team looked like they could beat Michigan, how it was an ugly game. No, that that was a top 10 matchup. Both teams with tons of NFL talent. There is nothing pretty happening in college football this season. If you're looking, ask USC about pretty. Ask North Carolina about pretty. Ask anybody in the Southeastern Eastern Conference about pretty. Is Washington pretty? If you stayed up Saturday night, see what happened to them against Arizona State. Go look at that score. It doesn't exist, kids. It does not exist. Transfer portal, NIL, if you're looking for behemoth teams, 2020 Alabama, 2019 LSU, they don't exist. They don't. You got a top 10 matchup in your backyard with two elite defenses, and you were better by a measurable amount. And if you don't need perspective, if you have the perspective that somehow that was ugly or you played down to the competition, the hell you did. Penn State's legit. They're damn good defensively. I think it's funny that we can spend all week circling this. This is the game of the week, Ohio State-Penn State. It's a top 10 matchup. And we all kind of had it pegged correctly that, like, oh, it's going to be such a tough test for these offenses because both defenses are playing at a really high level, laying out the stats for Penn State. What we've seen from Ohio State's defense looks like it's improved year over year once again. And then we're all guessing the scores. We're all in the 20s. You know, it varied from low, place to place. Low to mid-20s across the board. Yeah, Nobody had this 41-38. Exactly. Then it goes out, and we get that game. It's a tough defensive test. It's low scoring. The team that just makes just enough plays gets the victory. That's Ohio State in this instance. And then we go, well, what was that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what we all predicted. This is exactly how we thought this game was going to go, and Ohio State just ended up making the more plays on their side offensively because Ohio Penn State's offense just couldn't get anything done. But I, I've been trying to warn people of this all season because it was probably about the second or third game where – I was like, I think that we're just going to have to like readjust our Buckeye algebra and understand that, no, this isn't a team that's going to go out there and score 40 
every week. But they also, because of the defense, don't have to. This is perfect. I think if Ohio State can deliver 20 or more points in any game, they can beat anybody because I believe the defense can hold any offense under that that number. Use the what you just said about what did you just say? You just said we have to adjust our Buckeye algorithm to algebra, to, yeah, algebra to for to think that you're going to score forty. You could take the Buckeye out and just say all great teams. True, because there isn't there isn't some juggernaut out there. Now Michigan looks very good. They have played nobody, nobody. I, they they look it. They deserve the respect. They've won twice against us back to back. We all know it. And you're going to have to go beat them up there. Absolutely. But this notion that that, that Michigan team is some juggernaut, I, they might be, but you can't know it based on who they've played right now. You can't. And I would say the same is true of Alabama, of Oklahoma, of Georgia. Go on down the list, Reese. Every team is flawed. You beat a top top 10 team in your backyard where they went 1 of 16 on third down and 0 of their first 15. You, have, you, you held them to less than two yards of carry. They might have two NFL running backs. Singleton for sure is. No idea why they only gave the ball nine times, but that's a conversation for later. But you did all of those things. To minimize it is just silly, and honestly, I don't even understand how you can have that approach. Well, it's, it's not sexy. I guess. I'll say that. And I was I went into this game thinking that and over the past couple of weeks, like the, the defense's performance had led me to think like, all right, this is a uh, a defense that you can win a national championship with. And after Saturday, I'm like, well, this is a defense you're going to win a national you could this defense will win you a national championship. It's not Confirmed gonna be like, it. it's not gonna be like a complimentary defense to your offense. It's going to be the backbone of your team to Chops' point. Like you're gonna have to kind of fix how many or how mu- how flashy this car is going to look in terms of an offense that, you know, 20 points is going to get by a Penn State team because of how well you played defensively, how how made, how frustrating you made things for everybody on that Nittany Lions sideline. And uh, for the other, I guess for the rest of the country that's only looking at the bottom line, saying 20 to 12, ew. But if you've watched, if you watched the, the full game, if you watched anything from Ohio State leading up to that point, if you actually paid attention, you walk away from that game thinking, oh, in regards to Ohio State. Yeah, I just think, I mean, I watch a lot of college football. I know you guys do too, and many of you out there in the audience do as well. And if, I, I watch it pretty much on Saturday. It was up here. It was largely kind of a garbage day. So it was kind of rainy, drizzly, kind of much of it. And I watch college football pretty much all day long. There wasn't much that I didn't watch. And there isn't anything pretty happening in the sport at the moment. If, if you're looking for fireworks – Keep on looking. Ask Caleb Williams about fireworks. Ask Michael Penix Jr. about fireworks on Saturday night. Ask North Carolina and Drake May about fireworks. They lost at home to Virginia. On the CW Network. How embarrassing. (laughs) It's also really didn't even if you watch that game, it didn't even it wasn't even that close because that Virginia was going in for another score and on the one yard line fumbled it out of the end zone for a touchback. So I mean they they really were bullied in their own backyard. There isn't anything sexy going on in the sport to your word to use your word, Reese. There isn't. Not right now. It's also so the you're margins, gonna have to win by blunt force trauma. The margins game in college football is is so weird because like say USC didn't lose to Utah, or even you could use Utah as an example, because those are two teams that people have respect for this year. Thirty four to thirty two, and it's like, oh man, look at what a great what a great win for Utah. They looked good at all they can do. 
If Ohio State had won 40-32, would people have been more impressed? Yes. Is that what it needs so. to be? I yeah, think it's, it's the, the thicker game. shock of it all. Yeah, it's the numbers game of it. And the thing that drove me most nuts as the day went along was the was how people minimized Penn State. As if they had beaten Purdue 20-12. to 12. We love to do Buckeyes that in college escape, football. Buckeyes escape Penn State in an ugly matchup? It's number three against number seven, man. It's number three against number seven. It's not an escape. That's a damn good win is what that is. That's what it is. And now that's two in the top ten that you've done by October 23rd. You beat two teams with legit talent, NFL talent, a lot of it on this Penn State team. Just wait till the next couple of drafts. You're going to see them. They'll all be there. And so any minimizing of that win is just silly and nonsensical and, quite frankly, disrespectful. Now, are there things that need to be buttressed? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I got a damn good look at Michigan on Saturday night. And the most impressive thing about them is McCarthy. He's lights out. At the moment, Michigan State's not very good, but that kid is playing with a ton of confidence. But so is your defense. And to get to this point with the amount of of talent and who did not play is not something that can be minimized. I will not have it. We won't minimize it ever on this program. Not going to. That's a very, very good win to get to 7-0. and The Buckeye defense can absolutely go. I know there's some questions about the offense. We're going to get into all of that. I cannot believe that's the way James Franklin attacked that game. And route man Marv, my goodness, seven games in. So you're saying there's a chance. We're off and running on a reaction Monday. Bishop and friends right here on the fan. Drink recommendations, movie reviews, sports discussion, and whatever the hell Reeser does. This is Bishop and friends. And no matter what NFL team you cheer for, Tipico Sportsbook knows who all of Ohio is rooting against. Every week when you bet $25 on an Ohio team, they're going to give you a $5 bet credit to place a bet against your rival. Make game day even better by taking home a big win and cheering on your rivals to lose. Download Tipico Sportsbook today. Make the most of your big wins and your rivals' losses. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Ohio. Terms and conditions do apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER for more. Um, you... A popular answer to who do you think the best team in the country is, certainly coming over the, out of their win against Oregon, was people would answer Washington was an answer. Um, so they played at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. They played against Arizona State. Arizona State was 1-6. and six. Uh, They were 1-5, rather. They were 0-3 in conference play. Most people would say that Michael Penix Jr., and I know Tipico had him as the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy coming out of the win against Oregon. Penix in the game against Arizona State, which Washington trailed 7-3 to going into the fourth. Okay? This is Arizona State, mind you. 7 to 3 going into the fourth. They outscored them 12 nothing. They won 15 to 7. Penix 22 to 27 of 42, 275 and two picks. Washington as a team ran it 13 times for 13 yards. Do you see what I'm trying to you see the point that's trying to be hammered home here kids? There isn't anything out there that's dominant. It does not exist the way that you're used to seeing it exist. There's a million reasons why, but it just doesn't. I also think that we, and I'm certainly guilty of this, is if we watch a team struggle offensively, then we just say, that team sucks. There's rarely any more given credit just because of how college football, how the scoring has just gone up and up and up, average scoring per game in in recent seasons. We just go, oh, well, that team must suck and not give really any correct credit to the defense in being completely out of this world. And we do that in like the reverse sense where then because we go, oh, that team sucks, 
once they get once they lose and they get beat, we don't give the credit for beating that team on your resume. Like with Ohio State, and we're talking with Penn State. There's probably a lot of people now go like, oh, yeah, Penn State, not as good as they we stink. thought this year. And it's like, no, they just played a good game. Somebody has to lose these games. It was still a good opponent. Notre Dame's still a good opponent. And then they, they, you know, they went and they lost to Louisville, but they went and they proved that out against USC. And here's the deal. Like your offense actually doesn't stink. And, and there, does it have some questions? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they have trouble. We have trouble running the football. Especially without Travion Anderson, that's a big deal um, to not have him in the game. So I'm not going to minimize the fact that he didn't play in the game. I thought he was going to play in the game. I know that they had prepared for Denzel Burke and for Emeka Buka not playing in the game, but I think the feeling was that Travion would. So the fact that he didn't was a big, big deal. He, he, there's a reason he's your number one back. Um, and it sounded like from Ryan Day post game that Dallin Hayden they that they felt like Mayan and. Uh, Chip Trainum gave them the better chance versus Hayden, which is, and I know there's a redshirt thing. I don't know what's going on with him. That's, I, I don't understand necessarily all of the things that are happening there. But what I can tell you is, is that, and I think you guys are right, that if we don't have this big flashy scoring, we think teams are struggling. Here's the reality. This defense can go. Okay. They're getting home. JT Tuamolowau, if you just paint every helmet white with a blue stripe, He's a first-team All-American. The dominance that he has against Penn State is just otherworldly. And so he provided that. Your linebacker play was, was quite frankly, awesome. You did it again, what was it, 18 of 42 for Aller? And you did that without Denzel Burke, who's your best corner. So that defense can absolutely go. Many of them are available post-game. Let's start with Steel Chambers, who was very good in this game. He's, um, let's, let's start with Steel on the defense and what they continue to do. I feel like there's a lot I need to correct. I mean, still, like that last drive, I think we were just giving them too much, but I think overall, as a defense, we're definitely getting better. We're getting better with our checks, communication. I feel like we're on top of all of our assignments. Then it's just beating people one-on-one. Cody Simon, who's been playing some very nice minutes of late on shutting down Penn State on third and fourth down. Third down is unbelievable. Oh, for the first 15. Here's Cody. You know, we, man, Wednesdays we practice situational football, and, you know, we've put a huge emphasis on it this year. So, I mean, this is that's that's our, our practice working coming out and, uh, and coming together. You know, we, we, we practice this stuff, and we just it's good to see it come out on the game day. It feels to me like um, Jim Knowles has a full understanding and feel for his personnel, for the flow of a game. There were uh, two instances in this game where he called a blitz from the safety position on a third and short that went unblocked and you blew up Penn State near the line of scrimmage. So his feel for his talent and his feel for the games is really starting to show out. Yeah, I do really feel like Jim Knowles has like hit a stride with what he needs to do because this whole year has been about okay, let's let's bring it back and let's not take as many chances, let's not be quite as aggressive because we want to get rid of these big plays and they they seem to more than halfway through the season to have eradicated that problem for the most part and so keep that up. But now he is ready to go back into his old bag of tricks and be a little bit more aggressive and call those kind of plays. The blitzes were amazing to me on Saturday. It felt like. 80% of the blitzes worked and the 20% that didn't work didn't kill you on the other end that like they made yeah. a play because you weren't in that space but yeah that was the best blitz calling I'd seen all season and they were able to just do so much and create so much havoc rushing four and that as you oh, know, a defensive yeah. coordinator just gives you as a defensive staff <clears throat> just so much 
so much a confidence and then so much time to kind of figure out what could work. And when you do dial things up, they're able to get home like that because of the havoc you've created with four. That's got Penn state trying to figure out, well, which guy do we block and which guy do we leave one-on-one? And it's like a, well, you can choose to go to this page, but you're still going to die at that page. Yeah. It's um when you, and you try to do that thing where you're, you're judging versus who you're playing. And we're, we're going to have a conversation about James Franklin's plan and what exactly there was a plan? Well, I, I, not a good one, <laughs> not a good one. Um, real quickly on that, and I'll we'll elaborate further. I just was stunned that a guy with his record and would take the approach that he took. It was opposite in every way of how teams come in here and beat Ohio State. And I thought he had one advantage, and he he largely ignored it. Um, in the game, and he put it on his second-year quarterback and said, "Well, go, bud." Was was what the idea was, and this this stage was just way too big for Drew Aller. Very much was. Now, I don't know if Drew Aller is ordinary. I don't know if he can be at some point extraordinary. I know that when you talk to people who observe mechanics and those type of things, that his throwing mechanism is spot on. It's just you know the footwork stuff, but so much of his discomfort was caused by what I think we can absolutely say is a return of the silver bullets. Now, you're not going to crown them until Michigan. That's part of it, right? You're going to crown them then because they're a full day. McCarthy is absolutely lights out right now. They can run it with the two backs. Uh, I don't know if they can block it or not because they haven't been asked to. And we really won't know about Penn's. We won't know. Michigan's off this week, and then they go, I think they go Purdue, Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State. I think that's how they finish. Do I have that right? Off? I think so. Yeah, Penn so State's you, the 11th, so that if they only that got, would, that yeah. would line up. Mm. Yeah, to where they – I think that's the way that they go. Um, so you'll get a better feel for what they are when they go over to Happy Valley and they try to play this Penn State defense, which is absolutely a full day. The, the Penn State defense is legit. Um, even with the loss of Chop Robinson, they, they still have a lot of the – they check a lot of boxes. But what I think we can say absolutely is that you have a defense now – that can be good enough to win a national title and can now be good enough to not only bend but don't break, but impact the game with with game-breaking plays in the biggest moments. We've seen that now from JT Tuomolau in a couple of games. He did it in the Notre Dame game. He did it in the Penn State game. And that ought to leap, allow for you to sleep well at night. Now, as for the Buckeye offense, a work in progress. But if you remember last week on this program, the real truth, what did Kyle McCord have to do most to survive, guess what? He did it. We'll get to that coming up next. Bishman Friends right here on The Fan. The Fan is live and local with morning juice, caffeinate, and dominate. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. What's up? What's up, man? What's up with you? All right, here's what's up on a Monday edition. Buckeyes improved to 7-0 and on the season with a 20-12 win over 7th-ranked. Penn State. They did so with a dominant defense and an offense that, quite frankly, had one transcendent player in Marvin Harrison Jr., and we'll have more on him in just a second, because, quite frankly, he deserves 20 minutes. Uh, Cade Stover, sensational in this one as well. Uh, the boy's really getting into the Farmer Gronk thing, so that was kind of fun to see that. Um, he's absolutely sensational. Go ahead, Reese. Did Gus, when learning about, on the broadcast, learning about Farmer Gronk's nickname, or learning about Cade Stover's nickname, did Gus make it sound like he wasn't a fan of that? Bigly. While yeah. spending the entire three-hour broadcast yeah. crushing us with Maserati Marv? 
Which is something nobody's ever heard. Sir, no one's ever- <laughs> how dare you? Farmer <laughs> Gronk's a wonderful nickname. Maserati Marv, well, doesn't it's not good. <laughs> He's going to push that. You're going to hear that every, I mean, just, we're not even, how many more times are we going to have the Fox broadcast? Uh, Obviously, Michigan once game. In Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin's on NBC. Penn State's on NBC, or I'm sorry, Michigan State's on NBC. Maybe Minnesota. Another big noon kickoff for him. Rutger, then. Rutgers and Minnesota are the only two chances. Hey, Rutgers right now, depending on what they look Ball like. Eligible, baby. Good game. Eligible, the Shiano man is. Yeah, he's... Uh, I was as a, I want to get to the Buckeye office in a second. I, I was thinking about this on Saturday night. If you're Penn State, do you swap Franklin for Shiano right now? You do, don't you? Like if Greg Shiano is coaching Penn State right now, don't you switch that? Don't you make that change? I would do it in a second if I were them. Yeah, I think I, it's, I would do that in a millisecond. I would swap that out. I think it's he's fair. Got, I think it's time Rutgers to really start asking the real question about is it time to move away from James Franklin? Yeah. We'll do that coming up next. Um, as for this Buckeye offense, so I didn't put the MIT kids on this. I just used my state school education. I was trying to think of the programs in college football history that had delivered three straight first-round quarterbacks to the NFL. The only two that I could think of, and again, not MIT kids, just state school bow here. The only two I could think of was Alabama, the current run that they're on, because they go Tua, Mac. Bryce Young, all first-rounders, and Ohio State with Haskins, Fields, Stroud. I've Googled it. I've tried to find if there are others who have produced three straight first-round picks. Remember, Jalen Hurts is not a first-round pick. So they had Baker and they had Kyler, so they had number one overall in back-to-back. Um, but Jalen Hurts was a second-rounder um, at Oklahoma. So And Caleb will be a first overall, so you'll have three. But that's Lincoln in two different programs. I couldn't think of one that had more than three straight first-round picks at quarterback consecutively. There's nothing that came to my mind. Maybe there's something out there. God bless you if you got some MIT kids working for you that maybe you can find it. I couldn't. It brings me to Kyle McCord. Um, Kyle McCord is in his first year as a starting quarterback at Ohio State against, by any measure, actually not by any measure, by the measures that matter most, he played – the best or second-best defense statistically in the country on Saturday. He completed 63% of his passes for 286 yards, a touchdown, and no picks. Go back to the real truth last Tuesday. The real truth, Kyle McCord has to be great for Ohio State to beat Penn State. Not the real truth. He has to be clean. We told you he had to be clean. He was clean. He was clean. Did he hit every throw? No. No, for sure. But you are not entitled to a first-round pick at quarterback Every single year. Remember, you went from Schleister to Haskins with none. Right? So the notion that every quarterback is a first-round quarterback, you're not entitled to that. And by the way, they had Quinn Ewers here. They had him. So you could have even done the four in a row had, had that held. But I am the notion that McCord isn't good enough to get it done. Folks, Stetson Bennett won back-to-back national titles. He is not some transcendent talent. He is not Trevor Lawrence, okay? You don't have to have that. He's not Joe Burrow. Kyle McCord is coming along. He's got 12 touchdowns and one picks. He's played two top 10 teams, and he's 2-0. and 
he plays his best when it matters, when it comes down to it in the fourth quarter and they get, you know, they got pinned down at the 10 yard line after the fiasco with the muffed punt and all that stuff, you know, after they went for it on fourth and goal and they didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, the next time they, they truly have the ball, they're at the 10. He orchestrates 70 some yards and they get a field goal. They get to stretch their lead to a full touchdown and cover city, by the way. And that's, we saw that obviously in the final drive against Notre Dame, the, the tempo stuff at the end of some of the halves and some of the games, you know, they obviously weren't as competitive, but we've seen that. So there's something that turns on for him. I would say my like biggest concern from this game is streakiness and like when are those streaks going to happen? But so far, he's shown me that the good streaks are going to be used in the fourth quarter, which is something you need. He's um, and first and again, just to reiterate, no Travion Henderson, no Emeka Abuka. Emeka Abuka is a first round pick, so he's without two NFL guys. This offense was. Um, here's Ryan Day on his quarterback. He took care of the ball. You know, there was the one sack fumble that was returned for a touchdown. So, you know, if, if it wasn't a hold there, you know, that, that would have been a whole different game. So we, we got we to get rid of that stuff. Uh, it was a hold. I think that's why he double-clutched it. But still, there were some really good things. He kept battling in there and, you know, did enough for us to win. Uh, but I know we're going to watch this film, and, and there's still going to be things that we need to grow on and then things that we did well that we got to enhance. And, um, you know, we'll watch the film, and, and on Tuesday I'll have a better assessment of that to fight, figure out if he graded out a champion or not. But, you know, I, I just I know we left a lot of plays on the field today on offense and we didn't execute well enough in certain areas now again number one defense in the country so you have to it's all relative so we'll look at it and it was good enough to win but certainly our defense put us in a great situation on offense to win you can hear coach day even post game on the field and then in the presser where that was from and you can see it bothers him that they're not how they normally are offensively even against a team like penn state like it eats at him that they're not as explosive um it, it, I'm sure it eats at him that you can't run it the way that you want to. You're held at less than two yards of carry on the ground again. So you're not as, di- as dynamic as you're used to being. Again, you played a very, very good Penn State team, perhaps a great Penn State defense. The other factor here is the Buckeye defense is very good. Here's Ryan Day on how the Buckeye defense is changing the way his he is approaching games. I just think in, in a game like this in particular, you have to do whatever you can to win the game. And if you feel like your defense can flat out win you a game, then, you know, you you have to make sure that you're doing your part. You know, you can't be selfish in that moment. As much as you'd love to just, you know, push the pedal to the metal, the the goal is to win the game. You know, sometimes we forget about that. Now, you know, there's other times where you want to find out where your offense is and, you know, challenge yourself and grow and build and put them in situations to to grow. I, I just felt like today watching the game that, you know, our defense was in control of the game. And, you know, if we could get a couple drives together and punch it in and control the clock, you know, it certainly had a lot to do with the defense, but we did have the ball for thir- almost 35 minutes in the game, and then that was well done. Here's what you can uh, – here's what you got. You've got 18-8, and eight, and those two alone are such game wreckers. I, Cade Stover and his dependability <laughs> – I mean, as the kids say, he get a little head tap on the one down the seam – he catches everything thrown his way, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in the country, period. So you have those two guys. Eventually, you will get Emeka Buka back. Eventually, I assume you'll get Travion Henderson back. And so you, this offense, while the defense is on much more closer to fully formed, I do believe this offense will get there, and I do believe that this offense, when compared to what else I'm seeing around the country, remember the Michael Penix numbers against Arizona State. Two picks, no touchdowns against Arizona State. Yeah, he stinks. What a bum. 
<laughs> Get rid of him. McCord, 286 and a touchdown, no turnovers against Penn State. Yeah, and as a, one of the the cuts there was Coach Day talking about, like, well, you know, he had the fumble that was called back from the hold, and that's such a weird play because it was the right call. I mean, it's clear as day that they, that they held Marv there, and maybe that's why Kyle McCord hesitated, too. I think he double-clutched. That's yeah, why I think he double-clutched. Because he sees, well, I can't go to Marv, which is where, obviously, he was pretty much going all day long, um, and then he does that, but th- that gets erased, and so you, you don't have to count that on the official stat sheet, and yeah, I think Kyle McCord, it's just the, he started five for five, then it went a little cold, then it picked back up again, and all in all, it evens out to a good game. I'm just worried a little bit, hey, may, will we see those streaks, that you know, a bad streak at the wrong Maybe. time? Yeah, but uh, overall, I think we're in a really good spot with him. And when you have Routman Marv to throw to, I pity the next team that thinks they have a plan to put single coverage on him. I mean, they bet they beat the best they defense thought, in the country without Travion Henderson and Emeka Igbuka. Yeah. I think you'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one thing, I I don't know what's going on with, with Dallin Hayden because he provides some explosiveness. Did we get an answer on all of that? It was just that, yeah, Tony Alford thought that that combination of Chip Trainum and Mayan Williams, the running back management has been weird all year long because it felt like Mayan was kind of like in some sort of doghouse for a few weeks, and then he was kind of the main back yeah. in this game. I don't know. I want to take any play in Ryan Day's arsenal that has uh, Mayan Williams running to the boundaries and launch it into the sun. I I want all the, yeah, there's, I hate all of this horizontal stuff. We just can't can't hit it. It feels like the the only good run plays are the ones where the The tailback just spins out of contact. Those those bubble screens and those, all all that stuff where we're trying to throw it out to the side to get up. We can't block it. We're just, it's just not there. It's it's not there the way that you're used to it being there. Um, so yes, they have some things to sort out. But you played either the first or second best defense in the con- defense in the country in the game on Saturday, and your quarterback was clean. As you bring it back to last week, that's what he needed to be. He was clean. He was. You win. You improved to seven and zero. And if you think that you've got it tough, by God, just imagine being a Penn State fan. The approach of James Franklin, stunning. We'll get to it coming up next. Bishman friends, right here on the fan. We used to have a billboard with our host face on it, but only ugly people work here now. You mama say you ugly. Hey! The Fan, Ohio sports tested. Distilled sports discussion served in light beer quantities. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. Understand this. The Penn State fan base aspires to the same things that you aspire to. They believe that they are entitled to a national championship level program. They believe that they should have every single thing that you do. To them, they have all of the same advantages that Ohio State does. And that might be strange for you to hear, but understand that's what they think. So they've got this guy over there who has been, who's gotten them to this point where they are what they are, which is basically 10 and 2, and he can't beat Ohio State and he can't beat Michigan. James Franklin was asked post game about being now 1 and 9 against the Buckeyes. Here's what he had to say. I totally get it. Uh, that's a good football team. You know what I'll what I'll talk about is today. Um, we lost to a really good football team on the road. We had our chances. We battled. We weren't able to capitalize. Big picture things. I'll be happy to talk about that at some point. But right now, I want to talk about we lost to a really good football team on the road. Didn't make enough plays when we needed to make All the right. plays. And I think it's a it's a fair question. I get the question, but but right now I'm worried about th- this game. So did, and then there was a follow up. Do we have? So then the reporter went at him. I did answer. I didn't answer the way you wanted me to. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Snippy. 
Because the reporter said, like, well, you didn't answer the question. He didn't. Um, I just I just think it's stunning that you have the type of talent that he has at left tackle in the backfield, especially, and you don't use it. What in the hell were they doing with Nick Singleton? Every time he got the ball, I was like, oh, God. I mean, every time. He averaged five yards of rush. How many carries did he get in the game? I mean, they, they didn't run it. They didn't try to. They didn't have much success when they did. But Singleton was the one thing that they had. He had nine carries for 48 yards Nick Singleton had in this game. And half of that was on a 20-yard burst early in the game, too, which was right. like the first so, big play. I was like, just keep – if you're them, just keep doing that, right? Just keep running – off fashion, keep running to the left and continue to tr- do that until Ohio State stops you. And instead, in a game that was pretty close throughout, I mean, it's 10 6 at the end of the third. And, and instead, they, they have Drew Aller in his first start like this of any kind attempt 42 passes. And they had no deep threat, none, right? Like mm-hmm. I told my buddy, Penn State alumnus, I said, you got to get the Bethlehem Steel guy to get in the portal and get yourself some receivers because you, you've got to have some guys down the field. Um, but the idea that, like, this is what Penn's – this was James Franklin's plan to come into Ohio Stadium and beat the third-ranked Buckeyes was his attempt was Drew Aller's going to do it. And they didn't, like, make the adjustment throughout the game either. You thought that, like, okay, you go out there and you miss your first – nine third down attempts that you, okay, this isn't working. We need to come up with something else. And no, they just kept coming out there and just running the same stuff. And it was basically a lot of three and outs or, you know, they might get to like six plays and then, then it's, then it's time to to punt again. And that's felt like every offensive possession because Ohio state defensively was just suffocating them. And yeah, I just don't understand how that didn't turn into, well, let's just try to run it some more and go with that. You had plenty of time because it was always within one score until right there at the end when Marv added the touchdown that made it 14. I could not believe they didn't. I I remember Friday we were talking about what we thought Penn State's approach would be. And I said, to me, I think it would be the, the Notre Dame blueprint. Remember Notre Dame, they took the ball out of Sam Hartman's hands and they just ran it. And they said, we're going to be physical. We're going to be tough. We're going to run it right at them. Penn State actually had the left side of the offensive line and the two backs to do it. And they just bailed. They bailed on it. And they said, well, we're going to put it in Drew Aller's hands. And the stage was just way too big. Way too big for Drew Aller. Just I mean, that's 240 just, total yards on offense for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was just way, way, way too big on that. Um, here's James Franklin on his quarterback's play. Yeah, I think I think you know all all year long we have we've called the game and managed the game um, to to put him in the best situation to be successful, and we weren't able to do that today uh, for a, for a number of reasons, but. Um, you know, we'll look at it. We'll see what the run pass percentage is, especially when you take, you know, the two minute situations at the end of the game out of there, um, and see what those numbers look like and what the efficiency was. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Like if I'm if I'm Penn State and I know he just got a new contract, but and I see Shiano over there, and I don't know if Greg would even do it. I have no clue, but it feels like that would be an immediate upgrade to do that because they can't. They're not going to win anything with this guy. They're not. Not with this approach. No, I mean, he's proven it now. He's been there for like almost a decade at this point. He does not win these huge money games, and he's lost them consistently. We played that first cut from him where he's talking about, 
we went out there and we lost to a good team. Well, Coach, you're a good team. When are you going to start being on the winning end of the good team versus good team type matchups? And, like, it's great that you can beat up on Delaware, but you've got to start beating the Ohio States, the Michigans, the USC's, the Washington's, the Oregon's of the world, or you're going to start to beat down the list as far as Big Ten teams go. Well, I, I think that's where you look at their uh, Big Ten Flex Protect Plus package. I agree. And that they've not protected anybody because they're going to get in the college football playoff when it gets to 12 teams. They'll likely make it every other year at the very least. And I think that's where Franklin and company are, are good at. Just yeah, I think being you're right. good enough. Oh, yeah. I think, his, I think it's very clear, his approach. He does not want this smoke anymore. That's known. They did. They could have protected this one. They didn't want to, even though their fan base wanted them to. And so they're they're going to bank on beating USC and Washington and Oregon every once in a while and playing the Buckeyes, you know, once every three or four years. Same thing with Michigan. And he's not going to have to play these games anymore. And he's going to redefine success for him as make the playoff. And you're right, Reese. They will. That is absolutely their plan going forward. And it's just shameful because the program's better than that. Or quite frankly, that fan base deserves better than that. Marvin Harrison Jr. was the best player in the country on Saturday. I think you could probably take the qualifier out. He's the best player in the country, period. Can he win the Heisman? I think he probably can. We'll get to it coming up next. Bishman Friends right here on The Fan. Common man and T-Bone are idiots. You should listen to them anyway. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The Fan, Ohio's idiot destination. Our top men are working on everything except this show. This is Bishop and Friends. Second hour here on Reaction Monday. Made the comment earlier about, you know, three straight first-round quarterbacks. And Arbeg's telling me uh, via text, one that came to his attention was, uh, Palmer, Leinert, Sanchez, that all three of those guys would have been first-round picks as well consecutively at USC. So there's those three, and I'm pretty sure those three were all – I know they were all consecutively, but I don't think anybody else – was Leinert in a job share early? I can't remember if he started right away after Palmer left, and then Sanchez did replace Leinert, and then they thought – um there was the kid who came in here and played quarterback, who was the number one player in the country, um, came in here and won. It did go directly from Palmer to Leinart. So it went Palmer, then three seasons of Leinart. But 06 was actually John David Booty. Then 07 was Mark Sanchez. So there's the miss. So Arbex missed that. And mm-hmm. then who's the kid who followed Sanchez? He was the true freshman. Matt Barkley. Barkley. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He came in here and won and was. And he was in some job man. shares, it looks like, his first couple of years and then took over his junior year. Who's that? Barkley. So there were some other he guys. One here as a true freshman, like in nine ish, I would say. Okay, maybe ten. So I'm one seeing of those the, years. The, do the names Aaron Corp or Mitch Mustaine? Mitch Mustaine. Yeah, Mitch Mustaine. Familiar. Yeah, all those guys were five stars. Mm-hmm. They were all. I mean, that's the way that Pete had it rolling at that time. Well, didn't Matt Castle get drafted and never start a game at USC? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yep, yeah. He was Leinert's backup, and so he had. He had that going on as well. Yeah, no, they had a ton. But it's it's very rare. Um, and, and here's the deal. If you have Marvin Harrison Jr., you might not need to have a quarterback of first-round talent or someone who will be graded that way. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not bailing on Kyle McCord getting to that point eventually. I'm not. Um, but this is mostly about Marvin Harrison Jr., who was absolutely sensational. And on a field Saturday that included 
man, two handfuls of first and second round picks on both sides of the ball for these two teams. He shined brightest by a wide, wide margin. He was uncoverable. Kalen King is going to be an NFL pick, first, second round. He's uncoverable. He had no chance against him. Ryan Day postgame on Harrison and his status around the country. I got to give Marvin Harrison so much credit, you know, to to go for 11 catches for 162 and a touchdown when, you know, I would think most teams, the first thing they look at is how do I take away Marvin Harrison? And we targeted him 16 times. I think he was open on most 16 of those plays. And so you know, he, he showed up in a, in a big spot today again. And, you know, I would, I would argue to say, and I haven't seen everybody play across the country that, you know, it's hard for me to find somebody who's better in the country, you know. So, you know, I don't know, you know, how he gets on these lists or doesn't get on these lists. But to me, he's one of the most special players in the country. To everybody, <laughs> to, to every single body in the country, he is. So then this question becomes, well, how special can he be? And I, I tweeted this out on Saturday about, you know, he's going to be at the very top of the of the stiff arm watch list for the Heisman. And that's a real thing. It, there's there's a bunch of factors that that lead to it. And for somebody other than a quarterback to win it, they have to have a couple of things going for them. Number one, they have to be almost like on an island. If you remember Devonta Smith with Alabama, it was the injuries to Jalen Waddell um, that allowed for him to to elevate and eventually win that award. Um Marvin checks that box, right? Because Emeka Buka hasn't played much. So he is the entire engine for the Buckeye offense, who, by the way, as, as we've documented many, many times, really struggles to run the football. So he is the one constant. Through seven games, he has 42 catches for 766 and six touchdowns. He's averaging 18.2 a reception. That's the average on that. He has the statistical accumulation that has already started that's going to put him at the top of any list. And he's got moments already. This one provided one, and he's going to get another one in Ann Arbor. The other thing to remember about Marv is there isn't anybody else running away with this thing. There isn't anybody in the Southeastern Conference who's going to win the Heisman this year, guys. Yeah, do you That's want to know? Happening. Want to know the updated odds after uh, Give it this to me. past? Give me weekend? the typical odds after this weekend. JJ McCarthy is now your leader, Michigan quarterback at plus two twenty-five. Michael Penix Jr. slides just behind him at plus two seventy-five. Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback, plus four ten. Jordan Travis, FSU quarterback, plus eight hundred. Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma quarterback, plus a thousand. Bo Nix, plus two thousand, and then you get to Marvin Harrison at plus twenty-five hundred. Bet it. Bet that. Bet it. It's not that hard. It's not hard to get there. And for the, you know, oh, in the, any way, the leader is JJ McCarthy. will go out there and win that game, have a performance right. like he did against Penn State and be, yeah, the driving engine of the offense and what leads the Buckeyes to victory over, over what I would consider a rival in Penn State. But we've talked about that enough, but it obviously would be a rival in Michigan. And that's kind of what you can do. Take it in those final games of the year. That's what Ohio State has in front of them. That's the hard part. I think for McCarthy is like, is anybody watching the Michigan games? No, but he he doesn't have to for him to win it. He doesn't have to. He need and I pull up his have the MIT kids pull up his his stats on the year, um and and see where he is. Let's just let's just identify the competition around the country. You just did the the McCarthy has at this point. He's he one yard short of eighteen hundred yards. Uh, eighteen What's the touchdowns yards per game on that. The yards per game for him right now. He's played seven. Where is it? This versus conference. I'm trying to get. Come on. Sometimes well, while you're way, looking at that, yeah. let's just uh, you you give me the yards per give me the touchdowns versus interceptions and yards per game for McCarthy. So you mentioned McCarthy, Penix Jr., 
who's he's got his big game against Oregon already under his belt, and he's going to get more in the Pac-10, Pac-12 as that goes along. But some of those won't have quite the attention because you're seeing that league already start to just hemorrhage against itself with, with USC's losses. I think Utah plays Oregon this week, so there's another opportunity for losses there. Um, so Penix, McCarthy, let's look at the other quarterbacks. Nick's at Oregon. That's a really uphill battle for him. Uh, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. He's going to be in the mix. There's nobody in the S. Jaden Daniels, are you kidding me? You think they're not going to lose again? Really? Come on. They're going to lose again? Of course they're going to lose again. I mean, how many losses can can a, can a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback have? Four? Jordan Travis could go undefeated. He could. But if you watch them, I watched them play against Duke on Saturday. At no point did I watch Jordan Travis and go, that's the best player on the field. I never felt like that. 224.8. See, that ain't it. For J.J. McCarthy, yeah. No, but Mac- the reason McCarthy He's not going to get the 50 touchdowns or anything no. like that either. The, the reason McCarthy is going to have a shot at it is he still has to play Penn State and Happy Valley, and he's got to play Ohio State. So those two things allow for him to build a resume. Go ahead, Bruce. Well, and then there's the Heisman moment that you talk about, right? So it's going to be Gotta McCarthy in a Michigan uniform staring at a wall of white at Happy Valley, and if he can perform well, that'll stick in Heisman voters' crawls, and then if you have the game, it'll be a top-five matchup, Ohio State-Michigan, pending both teams can make it there unblemished, you're going to have eyeballs on that. And so if he's able to will his team to a win there, then you get the moment, right? There's going to be some point in the game there's going to be a moment by a quarterback made that's going to be more so than just the numbers. Yeah, and Marv would have that same opportunity. Right. He's had his moment against Penn State, bigly, um, where he was kind of the entire offensive engine along with Cade Stover. Um, he's going to have opportunities this week in prime time against Wisconsin. He will have an opportunity in prime time against Michigan State. And you say, well, those teams aren't that good. Yeah, but those, those are nationally televised games on NBC in back to back weeks. I would say that this game against so Michigan they, State plenty. for Michigan this past Saturday was probably their most watched game, even though it wasn't a game worth watching. There's no question it was. There's no, I did. I bounced over to yeah. it and watched for a half and saw how they, and they're good. They're really good. Um, but Harrison's going to have those moments. Now the question becomes, well, first of all, it's here for him. Uh, he was absolutely amazing and he's the most humble, hardest working guy you're going to find. Here's, uh, the route man on his big day post game Saturday. Yeah, no, they are a really good defense, and it's a lot of credit to my teammates, teammates and coaches. The O-line did their things today. Uh, Kyle obviously made some great passes, and our other receivers helped me out as well. So definitely wasn't just an individual effort by me, uh, definitely a group effort. He was unbelievable. Post-game, he was unbelievable with people on the field uh, Saturday afternoon by the time it was over. Just so humble. You, he's one of those guys that you hear about the work ethic, but when you talk to people who are in the Woody and they see the amount of time that he spends um, – catching balls from the machine over and over and over again. I mean, he is the work that he's put in has translated to this. Now here's the, and I put this in the prep because I I think this is the next step in this. And the question I asked was, will Ohio state help him win the Heisman? And I'm not talking about promotionally or on their social media. I'm saying in games where it's lopsided, will they get him his numbers? If that's the deal. So it feels like they should, but remember there were games earlier this year where it was like, man, just take a shot, throw the kid the ball. Like, will they do that Saturday in Madison? Will they do it against Michigan State? Will they do it against Rutgers? Will they do it against Minnesota? Because what he's going to need to have is a string of 100-yard games after 100-yard games. And then you get the Michigan game, which will be the opportunity for your an even bigger moment and kind of your final case. 
So five of seven, he's gone over 100 in uh, games this season. 766, so well over 100 uh, per game on the year. But the last three is where it's really taken off because the amount of catches. So the, the high before this was was seven, and in the last three, he's at eight, six, and then 11 against Penn State. Uh, two of those games over 160 yards. Those are the kind of streaks, yeah, he's going to have to put say. together. Three straight uh Three straight weeks with at least one touchdown, one touchdown actually in all of those games. So six touchdowns is right on the edge of like getting to some impressive numbers. If he can get that into a double digit as a receiver, that's going to be something that, yeah, put that on the resume. And then I think he's going to cruise now to over 100 yards per game. Yeah, he needs to. He needs 12, you know, he needs between 12 and 15 targets a game. If he catches 10 of them, if he catches between 8 and 12 of them, over the next month until the Michigan game, you're going to be, t- what do we got? Five games before Michigan? You got Wisconsin. Yeah. Five games, including Michigan. Including, all right. So the next four, he needs to be 125 each, the next four, right? And now mm-hmm. you're at 1,200 yards going into the Michigan game. And then you can have your money. Now you're on it. Yep. Now you go big in the Michigan game, and now you go. I don't know That's if Ohio it. State like will have to consciously help them. I think at a certain point, one, I think it's availability, but two, it's just because of how good he is that you know the game plan can simply turn into just throw it to Marv. That's what it had to be on Saturday against Penn State, and it worked out really well. Yeah, this allows for them to if Igbuka, if his injury is still lingering, then you're able to kind of keep him on ice. Similarly with Travion and Mayon and Chip, if they're still dealing with things you're allowed to kind of just have them rest more. And you want them, obviously, to ramp up Michigan State, Minnesota, and Michigan, but Wisconsin and Rutgers, it feels like you have the route, man. All things are possible. He's uncoverable. And just do it. I can't can't believe they put King out there on him solo and kept trying it and just seeing if they could get it to work. Throw the ball in his direction. Likely two things are going to happen. He's going to catch it, or there's going to be a flag drawn. Or there's going to be a flag drawn. He's going to catch it anyway. That too. Which happened against Taylor King in the game. Just incredible. No, he's he is going to be the second player off the board, right? I'm yeah. not sure Caleb Williams is still going to go one. He's going to go two. Um, that's he is validating everything that everybody said about him and the way he carries himself. Man, if that don't make you be proud to to root for him and root for that team, he's the personification of everything that you'd want. Are you ever perplexed that there's been a little bit of an uptick in drops this year? Um. It seems so out of character when it happens, yeah, but it has the happened one on a number hands. of times. There was this, one on his year. hands on Saturday. Uh, there were, last week, I think it was mostly the rain. Mm. You know, it was kind of a crummy, crummy atmosphere. No, I no, I don't think so because he catches he catches everything that's important. You know, I mean, he's it's unlike. I mean, we've had such an incredible run of wide receiver play. Someone was asked me to kind of rank. You know, the, the last, this latest run of wide receiver room. Um, and I have him number one and then Garrett Wilson too. Um, and then Alavi three and then Jackson Smith, the jig before behind him. But I think he's proven that he is, he's the dude. And because of what I just laid out for you on the national landscape, it's absolutely there for him in the taking with five to play to, to go win the Heisman and become the first Heisman trophy winner around here since Troy Smith and to win it as a receiver. There is no quarterback who's running away with this thing, not by a damn stretch. Um, all right. Coming up next, an absurd game for the Browns yesterday in Indy. We will try to make sense of it. I guess it's better to make sense of it in a win than, than in a loss, but it took every bit of everything Miles Garrett had to get this thing done. We'll get into it coming up next. Bishop and friends right here on the fan. A lot of hosts have been on our airways in the past 30 years. Some good, some bad, some really bad. Anyway, sorry for that. The fan. 
producers, co-hosts, friends. Some of those things are true. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. And my friends, turn up the excitement of the Tipico Sportsbook this season. Download the Tipico Sportsbook app right now. Enter the promo code BISHOP150 to claim your exclusive welcome offer. $150 in bets along with a $30 pro football bonus bet when you deposit 50 bucks or more. Tipico Sportsbook, always your best bet during football season. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Ohio. New customers only, of course. Terms and conditions do apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER for more on that. Look. The Cleveland Browns and their fans have been on the wrong end of games like that more times than they can count, where there's a call that goes their way. In the six seasons that I've been associated with the franchise, the amount of Tuesday, hey, we got that wrong calls from the officials that, that the Browns have received, there's like five a year. So I uh, I, I don't think anybody who, who bleeds orange and brown should have to apologize for the way that the game was called down the stretch. Um, sometimes... Sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes the bar eats you. It's kind of that type of a situation. I think that from a Browns perspective, what you are seeing out of Miles Garrett, what you saw yesterday out of Miles Garrett is the stuff of absolute legend. It's the stuff that when he goes into Canton and gets a gold jacket will be on the video tribute to him. The play where he blocked the field goal. <laughs> I've never the line, but it's not even a running start guys. No, it's out of a stance out of a stance. A human being who is 6'5", 290, 285, jumped and hurdled the line, bounded back up to block a kick. I've never seen that before in my life. Never. Not out of a stance. It's. I mean, it's wild because, yeah, he blocks that field goal, and then he also he forces the fumble, the fumble. that they recover in the end zone. He's just, like, if you think about it in that way, he's like essentially responsible for 10 points. In the game. And look at how close it was. They won by one point. So that's how important it was to this game. Yeah, they don't win this without Miles Garrett. That's for sure. No. And Dustin Hopkins, who yeah. hit every kick, <laughs> including a 58-yarder, which bested a career high. So they needed all of it, Reese. It's it. I mean, there's so much confidence with what Miles can provide. And even on a day where Garner Minshew looked like the best quarterback in the league. I don't know if anybody had a better day yesterday than Garner. <laughs> and there was still Miles Garrett putting on a defensive player of the year performance. I mean, that's the candidate for best best single game performance by anybody in the season. Yeah, it's uh it's on a short I mean, they obviously don't win with him. They go to four and two. Uh they do it in large part because of him and Hopkins, and they were sensational. Go ahead. And no, as a Browns fan, I will not apologize. Because yeah, the refs got it like they got the Colts got totally hosed on that final Cleveland drive. Well, the one I, absolutely. I, didn't, I didn't mind the one because I think it was kind of the same thing that happened to McCord on the hold on Harrison mm-hmm. where he double clutched. I think the same thing happened to PJ Walker um, on that one where he he kind of he hesitated when he saw Amari get held on the out. Uh, now, Amari is strong enough that he blew right through it. The other one, I think it was was it to chief in the corner. Yeah, it was in Joku. Yeah, that was the one where I think there probably should have been a conversation. Just objectively speaking, there should have been a conversation that said, "Okay, is that ball catchable?" Well, and the hard part about those passing, I think that still matters. Like catchable, I think that still matters. Like I like in the NFL that it's a spot foul for pass interference, but it does seem like too much of an advantage that it goes to the one when you get pass interference in the end zone, and that sets the Browns up. Now it took them more tries than you were probably comfortable with to finally get that final touchdown. Oh my god, they did get it. Jeez. It's first and goal at the one. I don't know. You got 38 seconds. I realize they don't have timeouts. You can run it twice 
on first and second down, and he got cutesy on them both. And then finally, Wyatt Teller, from all the reporting I've read today, said, let's run the blank and ball. And then they did on fourth down, and Kareem Hunt was able to get in and and ice it. But it took all of that to be able to do it. So this is the thing that's tricky, right, from, a, from when you're talking about the Browns, because you are four and two. You have done so with three different starting quarterbacks. You have done so with what amounts to basically three quarters of competent play from the guy that you paid to be the franchise quarterback. You have done so um, in large part because of Miles Garrett's brilliance, because the defense's greatness throughout the season, although they had a tough time, obviously, in moments with Minshew and really even with Jonathan Taylor, who finally started to get going for Indy. Um, and so you, you, it's two-sided, right? There's the side of you that says four and two, awesome. Fantastic. You're doing this while getting nothing out of your offense. I think they're 31st in the country. They're four and two playing without their starting right tackle, who's an all pro. They're four and two with, while playing without Nick Chubb, who's the best running back in football. Jerome Ford gave you a little bit of something. Then he even got dinged up in this. You have really no threat down the field whatsoever, but the, the, the butt is a big butt. And it's the Deshaun Watson question. Reese, you said in the update, you said, uh, Stefanski named Deshaun Watson the starter for this week against Seattle. And I would just say, why? I would agree with you. He did it after the game. Like, there's no need for that. I just didn't. I thought the way they handled it was so strange. If you're already ready to name him the starter for the next week at Seattle, why didn't he play anymore in this game? Why? Correct. Why? Why did he not go back in the game? Now, he was dreadful. Dreadful. He's broken, man. I think it was Stefanski trying to protect his broken quarterback because he knew he saw it. So I said, um, I said last week, like, can he, can somebody who hasn't practiced for four weeks all of a sudden practice, not practice really much at all? Although he did practice Thursday and Friday. Friday he was a full go and by all accounts looked great in practice. Can you do that and then play competently on Sunday? And, I was concerned because it's been a long time since he's played in an NFL game. And remember how slow it was last year coming out of the gates when he missed the first 11 games of the season. Well, he was lost, obviously, um, in the two drives that he led. The two picks he threw were basically just as if he was playing catch with the Colts. Yeah, the the second one where he just scrambles around and he throws he it right it into to the middle the... of the field. He just threw it right to him. The sec- first one wasn't any better. Yeah. No, so, it's, it's not looking good uh, from that sense for Deshaun Watson. And then it goes, well, what are you going to do as a game plan if you're Kevin Stefanski? Because you're spending each week, spending like the first half of the week deciding whether or not Watson's even going to be in the lineup. And then you're dealing with a, a mix of DTR and PJ Walker. And I'm not sure which one gives you a better shot, but I know neither of them give you a good shot at winning any of these games, except for the defense keeps you in it. And if they do just enough, you can do it. But there's also the factor of you can't really just like move on from Deshaun Watson. Nobody's going to let that happen with the amount of investment they have. So how do you handle the rest of this year, and how do you game plan for the subsequent games on your schedule? I don't know. I don't know. It's a really good question. Do. I, don't know, I don't know what you do. I'm I don't very know you, excited to see what this looks like on Sunday. I don't think it's anything physical at all. It's between the ears. It's, it's in the. It's all upstairs. Just and those. So how, the, some of those throws him? were just like, what is he looking at? What's he thinking? And this he is only on the work of five throws. This is how critical it is of Deshaun Watson. After we just saw him attempt five throws yesterday, kind of six because they took the one INT away, but still five or six throws is not a huge sample size. But we could see where it was headed for that game if he had played the entire time. 
I mean, the boys were chanting for PJ Walker. Think about that. I mean, this is this guy has not played competent football in now years. He had one really good game against Tennessee. The last three quarters against Tennessee were really good. Other than that, it's been wildly shaky the entire time. And you're a year and a half into this thing. So I'm not sure where they go. But the good news for them is they're 4-2. and two. They've got another worldly kicker, and they've got one of the five most talented players in the game in Miles Garrett, and that might be enough to make you a playoff team. Head back to the Buckeyes, a conversation with Austin Ward. Coming up next, Bishman Friends right here on The Fan. The sound of Paul Keels calling a Buckeye game is erotic. Oh, yes. Your home of the Buckeyes, the fan, Ohio sports destination. The uncle you never knew you had. The friends you kind of wish you didn't. This is Bishop and Friends. All right, time to head out on the Brian Eating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Austin Ward, our good buddy right here at the fan and dotting the I's. The podcast joins us. I, um... I, it was frustrating to me as the day went along, and I, I know you're working, you're writing, you guys are doing your podcast, your reactions, all of this stuff. But the way that yep. the, that this Buckeye win started to be categorized nationally grew very frustrating to me, as if this was some sort of ugly win. Um, and I heard it on a multiple networks, as if the Buckeyes survive. Either one of them are good. Wait a second, like. Where does this come from? Um, and I understand you and I view things through scarlet and gray colored glasses. I get it. I, I, I acknowledge that. This felt over the top to me. Those are two top 10 teams. That's a big time quality win on Saturday. Yeah, I, I brought that up. I was having a conversation with my uh, my Sunday Blitz podcast with Zach Bourne, and I said the same thing to him, Bo. It was like, I read three, four national stories from people that picked Penn State to win the game, and they said, mm-hmm. well, this loss says more about the team that lost. This game says more about the team that lost than the team that won. Hold on here. How can that possibly be? That doesn't say anything about Ohio State. These people have spent the last four years taking shots at the defense, some justified, some not, uh, saying that Ohio State didn't have a championship level defense and weren't going to be able to get over the hump with, you know, Ryan Day relying solely on the offense. And then they went out and won with uh, a 2002 blueprint of tight, hard. You know, hard-fought defense, 0 for 15 on those first third downs. Like, the stats are incredible. Those not – like, blaming Penn State for that, I think, is is missing the mark. And there are things that they didn't do well. Drew Auer wasn't ready for the moment. James Franklin and Mike Yersich dialed up some really weird play calls on offense mm-hmm. that were taking advantage of what they do well. Like, it is – in any game, you can certainly look at both sides and find uh, whatever storyline you want and go with it. But to ignore – what Ohio State's defense has become is ignoring what is making them a national title contender right now while acknowledging that in the next four weeks, there's still the possibility that a first-year starting quarterback who now has eight career starts under his belt could play better than he did on Saturday and probably will. Um, that, to me, says a lot more about Ohio State than it necessarily does about Penn State. But if that's what they want to do because they picked Penn State to win, go for it. Austin, let's let's have the Kyle McCord conversation. You brought it up. Let's have it. All right. So he sixty three percent of his passes, two eighty six, and obviously you've got eighteen, and that helps. But he played clean. There there was not a turnover. Now there almost was one, but there was it was justified the reason that that happened. But there wasn't no turnovers. Um, this is a first year guy. You, 
I think this notion that like you're entitled to first round pick after first round pick, that doesn't happen anywhere in the country. In fact, the only two schools I could think of that did it three consecutive years were Alabama and Ohio State in recent memory. Nobody else that I could think of has had three straight first round picks. And by the way, I'm not bailing to say that he's not eventually going to be one. But yeah. this is more than enough if you look around what's going on around the country. Michael Penix threw two picks against Arizona State Saturday night, bud. And had a fumble in the first half that contributed yeah. to uh, why they were losing. And I think that that's, like, that's a worthwhile conversation to have with um, not just the, the other good quarterbacks trying to win a national championship, but also Drew Auer specifically. Like, they're in reasonably similar circumstances uh, on Saturday based on the fact that Penn State was the number one defense in the country coming in. Kyle already had his chance to go on the road, and they didn't play a flawless offensive game, but he, when it mattered most, he led them down the field uh, for that touchdown drive. We all know that at Notre Dame. Like um, Drew Auer wasn't ready for the moment in a similar amount of starts, maybe you know a difference of one year being on campus, but um, you know he compare that. Which one of those two things would you rather have? Yeah. That was certainly a lot of the conversation going into the game. Kyle McCord has not been intimidated by the moment. He missed three or four throws in the first half without question that could have changed that game into a blowout. Uh, I'm not pretending that he did not do that, but I think a lot of this, like we want to compare apples to apples. Our is a better comparison for Kyle McCord at this point than CJ Stroud in his second year as a starting quarterback. Like Ohio state is not likely to get that level of play from the likely NFL rookie of the year on offense. Um, after seven or eight weeks, like, uh, they are getting it, it's it almost does a disservice but if you have game management with the amount of skill players that are around him and by the way doing that all behind an offensive line that is still growing as well and not a finished product i i don't see any reason for there to be as much panic as there has been from from some parts of the analysis of this game i i thought he missed those throws he also threw some into windows that were insane he sure did uh you know, there were people picking on the the touchdown throw to Harrison, and it was behind. Like there was a there was a hand in the throwing lane. He had to adjust where it was going. Like, like let's let's take a step back and appreciate the process here because it hasn't cost them any games. He's doing enough for them to win, and with the way that this defense is playing, that can very well lead to a win in the last week of the regular season, and then maybe three games after that. I made the case at the top of this hour, buddy. I think Marvin Harrison has a hell of a shot to win the Heisman. Um, statistically, he's putting up, yeah, he's got a, statistically, he's putting up a year that can do it. He's got big moments coming up. He's got two primetime games in his next three. He's got the Michigan game at the end of the year. We can all agree that he's the most outstanding player in the country. I guess what I'm curious about is, do you think Ohio State will work to get that for him? I'm not talking about publicity. I'm saying, will they make sure, even in these lopsided games, that he gets 12 targets? It seems like they're, they're doing that. And I don't know. It's not to win him awards because I don't think that people – there's a weird thing going on right now, Bo, and I think that Ryan Day brought this up. It wasn't a coincidence that he did after the game. A lot of the midseason stuff came out, like yeah. uh, midseason awards and All-Americans, and Marvin wasn't on some of them, like the AP one, uh, which is really uh, bizarre. And that's because you have this tendency to look for the next new thing. And, and like, Rome Adunzi and – and Keon Coleman are, are, are good players. Like, I'm not taking anything away from them. They're not Marvin Harrison. But you you always have a tendency to look for that shiny new thing. And then you had a couple, like, when he got hurt in the Notre Dame game, didn't have a ton of production in that one, although an insane catch on the game uh, when he yeah. drives. But, uh, you know, now the numbers are starting to catch back up. 
the games are getting bigger and Ohio State is going to remain on the stage, that will that should only work in his favor. I think Saturday should be even more appreciated because of the fact that Emeka Ibuka was not out there to help carry some of the load at wide receiver. And Travion Henderson, again, wasn't playing at running back. Those are two more starters and skill position players. And Marvin just said, hey, here we go, come to me. Um, I think there has been a con- conscious effort, even at Indiana, I think when he was relatively quiet, they, he still had eight targets, I believe. It just was, it didn't, it didn't quite connect. Yeah. Um, but he is playing at, I mean, they, they know that you cannot ignore Marvin Harrison Jr. Even if he's getting double coverage, you have to take your shots because he's still capable of beating two guys. And, and Kalen King is viewed as one of the best cornerbacks in the country. He had no shot against Marvin Harrison on Saturday. Yeah. It was the number one pass defense of the country you went up against coming in. That's what they were, just for some perspective for folks. All right, a couple of uh, house-cleaning things that that I'm curious about. What's going on at running back? Um, Mm -hmm. I I thought Trevion was going to play, and then when he didn't, I thought, well, surely Dallin Hayden, and then not. And then you heard Coach Day postgame. So so what is going on in that room? Yeah, so uh, Trevion, that was one of the weirder things that we've encountered, I think, with the, the way the status report since Ryan Day brought that in. The program had ruled Travion out on Friday night, and it had it's still the upper body injury before the Purdue game. Uh, and I think I mentioned this to you last Monday. There, I was mm-hmm. told that there was a setback with that injury, yeah. and that's why he wound up being scratched there. But he still was going through pregame warmups for that game, and he did that again on Saturday after Ohio State upgraded him to questionable, and then wind, wound up not going. I all I can guess, nobody has said this specifically. It, there was it was mentioned by Ryan Day that there's the chance that he could continue to re-injure that. So you have to weigh those pros and cons at the same time while saying, well, if it's an emergency, he can go. Um, well, he didn't have his helmet on the sideline that I saw throughout the whole game on Saturday. But it suggests that it, it, it it's a pain pain tolerance situation. Okay. If it's not comfortable, he, sh- he shouldn't put himself at risk. I'm not saying that, that Travion should. He needs to make the best interest for himself to stay healthy and comfortable. But if it's, he did go through pregame to test it out again and then wound up not playing. The Dallin Hayden situation, you know, you look at the comments that Ryan Day and some others have made, they don't seem to feel comfortable with the pass protection part. And we can yeah. argue about whether that should be the decision-making process or not for using somebody who shows really good vision, has been decisive with the cuts. Um, he looks to me like someone who can absolutely help the running game. Um, and just maybe put him in those situations and not ones where right. he has to pick up a blitz. So that, uh, maybe that's oversimplifying it from someone who's not a football coach, but that seems to be in the back of their mind. And then Penn State, they knew was going to be aggressive. So maybe they didn't feel he was ready for that moment. But, you know, at some point, if you're banging your head against the wall with that run game, you're going to have to look for a different solution. And maybe being overly concerned with the pass protection is probably not going to put them in a great spot to help the running game. Hey, bud, about 30 seconds. Uh, get you out of here on this one. Devin Brown is down. Yep. Provided he does is Lincoln the backup? Is that where it is now? I think it'll be Tristan Jebbia uh, with okay. the experience factor. Uh, they, you know, the other part with Keenholz, love the dual threat ability there for sure. Maybe you're able to do some of the things that Devin was doing in the red zone if you really want. Uh, I'm not sure if they will get to that point. It would still be a number of four games, but because okay. uh, we want to preserve the red shirt. But, I mean, Jebbia can do that too. Uh, but with Lincoln, it's worth also reminding that he didn't get in for spring ball, so he's True. he's playing a little catch-up there. You may be able to carve out some of that, but if they had to go to a number two and Brown is out for any length of time with that ankle, uh, Tristan Jebbia would be the next guy in. You're the best, buddy. Thanks for your time, as always. <laughs> Thanks, Bo. See ya.
Austin Ward right here at the Fan, Down in the Eyes, the podcast on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Thing or not a thing, up next, Bishop and Friends right here on the Fan. We have so many local shows, I can't fit them in a 10-second promo. So let's just say we're live and local all damn day. The The best hair on the air. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. All right, time for a little thing or not a thing. Hit it, fellas. Thing or not a thing. Sponsored by Apex Plumbing Pros. First one up here on this Monday, Saturday night, Clemson. They faced a fourth and goal from the one-yard line on the Mm -hmm. second possession of double overtime. Quarterback Cade Klubnick faked a handoff and tried to beat the Miami defense around the edge. He was met almost immediately by Miami linebacker Corey Flagg Jr. and driven back eight yards for the game-ending tackle. They lost in double overtime to Miami. After the game, Davo Sweeney was asked about the play, and he explains wasn't what they called. Quote, no, it was a handoff, 100%, and we didn't hand it off. Klubnick just pulled it. I've got no answer. I mean, just trying to do too much. Thing or not a thing? So this, you remember early in the season when when they were, I think they were playing Florida State, or they had an earlier loss even before the Florida State game where Klubnik had like a very awkward exchange where Dabo wanted a hand and Klubnik didn't want it. Like Klubnik feels like he's headed to the portal. And if you're looking for how that works out, check out DJ Uangulale and what he's doing at Oregon State. So I would imagine, look, this is the crumbling of Clemson. That's what this is. Like this is, they have three losses already. They're not getting it done in recruiting the way that they used to. Florida State has usurped them in their own conference. And now they have the kid who's the number one quarterback in the country who's two seasons in, and he's audibling his own plays at fourth and one in double overtime. So you're seeing the crumbling of Clemson. Yeah, this is Dabo's unwillingness to bend to anything. Bend to anyone, despite everyone else around him doing that. Despite anyone else around him adapting to things. And it's just, he's so, like... He's so much, this is my system, this is how it's going to work, I'm not changing a damn thing. And yeah, it's going to cost him the legacy. I mean, there's two national championships at Clemson. And I disagree with that part. Yeah? Okay. The legacy's firm. Two titles, you're firm. He's good. I do wonder, though, just what kind of hit that it takes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause, sure, he's going to have those national championships, but like the last part of the Clemson under Dabo Sweeney's just been a wild disappointment. I do think it's worth... I wonder what the... I do wonder what the, if he can evolve. That's what I was wondering. Like, what's he's his future after this? Can he right? shift mm-hmm. into another gear and get them back to the point of of being a top tier team in their own league? Because that they're not that now. Because yeah, if he gets another job and it still just looks like what we're seeing from Clemson now, that probably just kind of be the end of it. He'd probably play out that string and then. Who knows what he would do, but no, he's not the, the coach of commodity he once was. He's not replacing Saban at He'll Bama coach anymore. there as long as he wants. Yeah. So it's just a matter of how long does he want to. Does he pull the string before they do? They're not. I mean, he's no hot, no seat hot, nothing. Like, nothing. But how long does he want to do this without him changing? Will he ever adapt? I, I don't know. He hasn't yet. Somehow, like the Browns, the Steelers are 4-2. and two. And also like the Browns, the Steelers had a call or two go their way uh, late in Week 7. Uh, with about two minutes left yesterday against the Rams, Pittsburgh tried to QB sneak Kenny Pickett on a 4th and 1 at the Rams 39. 
looked to be a little short, but yeah. officials gave him the spot anyway. Uh, and the first down with that, Pittsburgh was able to nail out the clock because Los Angeles didn't have any timeouts and couldn't challenge it because they didn't have any timeouts. Uh, during Fox's postgame show, Terry Bradshaw said that he thought Pickett was short of the first down marker. Quote, it didn't appear that he made it. End quote. Thing or not a thing? No, he didn't make it. I mean, the idea that we are still spotting a ball with officials rather than a line. We have a laser line where you could say, this is the furthest point of the ball. Place the ball here. Like, that simple. Like, we could do that. We have the technology to do it and get these things right. And the fact that they didn't is that they continue to have guys walk out there with chains and officials kind of guess where it is. I mean, it's just nonsense. Like, just get the spot right. They got this spot wrong. And it was made worse, of course, by the fact that Sean McVay didn't have any timeouts, so he couldn't challenge a spot. And it wasn't under two minutes, and it wasn't a scoring play, so they were stuck. When you're talking about, yeah, like the down and distance, the chain gang and everything, it's funny that over the years they felt that the technology needs to be changed on the the placard that shows what down it is, but nothing has ever been done to the 10 yards of chain. And how accurate are those? How accurate is where the guy even starts with it? It's it's all just a weird thing, and it's just part of football. But then we make it so much about where the ball is on the field because that's the whole point of the game possessing the ball and making sure you can get to the certain line to gain um i think the way they like also spot on quarterback sneaks goal line type stuff where it just becomes like a scrum there are some refs that seem like are early to say oh the guy stopped and i'm gonna spot it where i saw it at that time yeah. and there are others who will let it play out and like how much can the quarterback kind of roll off the pile and maybe gain another half yard or so Ryan Cart G of the LA Times, uh, he had this from Saturday night. USC declined to make any players available after its loss to Utah. Only Lincoln Riley spoke with reporters after. Thing or not a thing? Yeah, a huge thing. I mean, he tried. He banned a, a beat writer a couple of weeks ago, and now, now this. Um, I don't know. Maybe he can't handle the heat of it all. It's it clearly that's where we're headed. There were reports last week that he was trying to get to the NFL. Um, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe this is just maybe the fire is just a little too hot from him out there. It's not lost to me that Oklahoma's better off than he is at USC right now. <laughs> and we, he left Oklahoma because about. he didn't want the heat of the SEC, seemingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a weenie! Like and you got Caleb Williams talking about that Notre Dame fan. He's like a lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of sheep. <laughs> it's like, well, don't perform like that the week after you said something like that, buddy. Because there'll be a lot more sheep calling you out. Does Arch like pop a bottle of Cristal, pour a, pour a glass, and, and you know as that game goes, does he like uh, uh, all the seventy two dolphins every yeah. year after the last yeah, undefeated two more years, team loses? I, I got it safe. I'm good. Uh, OrangeBloods.com had the initial report on Sunday. Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers will miss time after suffering yeah. a grade two AC joint sprain in his right shoulder. Uh, the MRI revealed the sprain in the throwing shoulder, which occurred during their win over Houston. Uh, it's not expected to be season-ending. Malik Murphy's going to be the presumptive starter against BYU. Arch Manning will be his backup. Thing or not a thing? All of this is a thing because there's a couple of factors here. Um, Arch Manning going to Texas, I think, was predicated on the notion that he would be the starting quarterback in year two, or at least have a chance to st- battle for the starting quarterback job in year two. Can that happen? If you were, Does Ewers have the good tape that he can go pro after this year. And then there's the Malik Murphy part of this, who every, we t- we had that guy on from Texas in the, when we did 20 Most Interesting, and he said, Murphy, they, he's really good. So, like, if Murphy's really good, can they continue to have all three of these guys here next year? Um, so that's the fascinating part. It feels like they're going to preserve Arch's redshirt no matter what. Yeah, and we didn't get to see much of Murphy uh, Saturday, but he did enough that they, they held out and they beat Houston. As far as it goes, like, really, Bo, I think the thing is, from what you were saying, 
one of these quarterbacks might be in the portal by, yes. by, by the time we roll like around it. to next season. So that's something to, to look out for. As really, that's been a kind of a calling card under Sark with Texas. Is like every year there's a quarterback in the portal. They're, they're playing all sorts of different places. You know, you had the one that was up at Nebraska last year, Hudson Cards at Purdue this year, and yeah. maybe Malik Murphy somewhere else yeah. after this. Yeah. Yeah, he can recruit it. And then he just has too much of it. Well, Blitz the Buckeyes coming up next. Final hour in Reaction Monday. Bishop and Friends right here on The Fan. When that alarm clock goes off, morning juice comes on. The perfect way to dominate your day or just lay around the house. Morning juice. Weekdays at 6. The Fan. Oh, knows many people. He talks to the interesting ones on this show. This is Bishop and Friends. Final hour on a Reaction Monday. Before we blitz the Buckeyes, um, were you guys uh, game day, big noon? Did you bounce back and forth? Bounce back and forth a little bit to see both of them because, yeah, they were both on campus here. Game day did include in their little montage of campus and Columbus a picture of Outer End. And that was actually the most exciting thing for me for the whole three hours. Didn't you win a shirt from threes? Yes, I did. Some crazy bet it was a, years ago? It was a Nebraska versus Iowa bet. He thought the Cornhuskers would for sure win with uh, Scott Frost. We'll just leave the Iowa conversation at there for today. Um, so did you watch both, uh, Reese? I was just big noon. Big noon? I was um, – the boys – The boys. game day does such an incredible job of painting the picture of it all. Um, I did notice, and I agree with uh, – one of you guys made the point last week about they, they got to put, like, multiple tearjerker stories mm-hmm. in. Man, that was a tough one on Drew Aller and and his uh, cousin who died in a car accident like a like a decade ago. That was a tough spot uh, with that one. Um, but they still do the best job of painting the picture. The boys want the headgear stuff more than anything else in the world. And I did see McAfee. I was surprised. Like he went at Vanini's. Uh, remember Vanini had the, yeah. the athletic people say that you know that they were dissatisfied with McAfee and McAfee like responded to it, which I was surprised. That he did. Um, and I'm also surprised that people don't like his act on game day. I, to me, he feels perfectly suited for college. He's exactly what that should be is that environment. And his feels far more genuine than Mark Ingram's, which feels very put on forced. Yeah. Like, oh, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get gonna the, be the wild guy. Okay. Urban, urban. They just keeps getting people to chant that every time they're at Ohio state. Apparently they've already been to OSU 10 times, which they've not been traveling with that big noon uh, yeah. kickoff show for very long. That shows you yeah, how the big noon scheduling works for sure. Yeah. Um, but I thought overall it was, it was fun. It was awesome. And then we got a great day. Sun was out and shining, and, and you had a great day for it, despite everything kind of around it not being so great. Let's blitz the Buckeyes. Hit it, fellas. Bishop and Friends present Buckeye Blitz. Sponsored by The Ohio State University, ROTC. Decide to lead today. Hi, Reese. What do we do well? Oh, the defense. Not silver caliber, silver bullet caliber yet, because you have to beat Michigan to re-earn that moniker. Yeah. But boy, it's about as close as you can get, brother. It's right there. We do this well. Next man up. You got guys filling in at running back, wide receiver, DB. Maybe, yeah, a slight dip. There's a reason why the, the other guys are the, the true starter and these guys are the backups. But for the most part, all those guys went out there, held their own, played more than good enough, and there was really no holes because of it that you were that were glaring towards the game that you were just like, yeah, the uh, the Buckeyes, because of the way they recruit and the way they manage the roster, they are ready for the next guy to come in, and those guys are going to be dudes in the coming years most likely. I think we call defense well. 
Jim Knowles has a feel for his group. He has a feel for what to do in games. Um, he had a couple of blitzes that were so perfectly timed on a run blitz standpoint that you had safeties coming in unblocked on third and shorts and blowing up backs. That was awesome to see. Um, won't be Georgia if we continue to do what, Reese? Run Mayan Williams to the boundary. Yeah. What's that about? North-South. That's a Dallin Hayden play, sir. Peter, Peter, Peter. Did we not go over that on special teams? Is that something that, you know, you, you, you go for it to get the advantage of, well, we've got them, we've got them pinned back there. So they don't get the touchdown because they go for it on fourth and goal and you pin Penn State back there. Defense does its job and gets the ball back. You'd have it at the 50. Instead, you give it back to Penn State. Luckily, they weren't able to capitalize on it, but it still turns into you getting the ball at the 10 yard line instead of the 50 if they had clearly just, just, moved out from it or if you had stepped up and actually caught the punt that's another option on that kind of stuff really unless it's going behind you inside like the 10 catch just about every punt that you can get in position i saw that throughout the day saturday and sunday not just in our game but in so many others where the ball they would let the ball land and it would roll down to the two it happened in the browns game too um look you, you you have to run it better you have to, and we're you're under two yards of carry in this game. Penn State's legit, um, but there still are concerns with Ohio State's inability to run the ball. You mentioned that fourth and two that you didn't pick up, so uh, that's something that's going to have to be sorted out as this thing goes along. What would you like to see more of, Reese? Dallin Hayden. Like, what's Same. happening here? If Travion's not going to be healthy, then you can do a lot of similar things with Dallin that you just can't do with Mayan or Chip. And I think that would help out Kyle McCord a lot more if you had a run game that you could count on. And I have yet to see anything with my two eyes that would tell me otherwise that Dallin Hayden wouldn't give him that up, wouldn't give them that the benefit there. I don't understand it. I mean, I asked Austin. I, he's he feels like he doesn't understand it. No, I don't. I don't get it. You guys just don't understand why it's better for Mayan Williams to lose four yards on a pitch play than for Dallin Hayden to get any carries in the game. Just not football. No, guys. nothing. No carries. Make it make like, sense. Please. It was about the red shirt, and now it's. I, I don't know. He, now we can't pass protect. He's been here a while. And when Let's we get see, him up to when speed, we do man. see him, he looks good. I'd like to see more of this. Uh, well timed blitzes going off. You were talking about how they calling the defense really well. These blitzes yeah. just seem to really work. None of them completely burned you. There were a few ones where Aller was able to go to the spot where the blitz was coming from, but none of them were, were killer type plays. And the ones that really worked, you're talking about the run stopping on, on third down plays, getting to the quarterback. They sacked Drew Aller four times in this one with a combination of guys on the outside and just the, the four down linemen rushing. But yeah, the blitzes really impressed me and knowing when to do them. Coach, who earned his courtesy car this week? Reese, who do you got? Everybody on the defensive side of the ball. You yeah, get to keep great. the courtesy car from this week, or you can trade it in for a newer model. <laughs> there you go. I mean, yeah, that's. I just put Jim Knowles because it's everybody on defense. All three yeah. levels were really good. They they knew what the challenge was against this Penn State team, and they were ready for the, the task. Um, I, I'm going to go specifically to Larry Johnson. It pleases me a great deal every time Ohio State beats Penn State because he was one of the most effective assistant coaches in college football history, largely in Happy Valley most of his career. And he's come here and had this incredible uh, kind of sunset of his coaching career. I, every time I see it, I wonder, would they have been better off had they just made him the head coach there years ago? And he just had, like, who knew it better? He's charismatic as all get out. Like, why couldn't he have been the head coach at Penn State? Like, to me, that I, I think of that every time. So I'm always very, very happy for him. Uh, and his defense, his defensive line is very, very good. Game balls on the offense. These are going to be hard to split. It's Stover and Harrison, and then where else do we go? But pick That's one. it. It's I'm going to go right. with the route man. 
Yeah, he's because he's so much damn fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can maybe the third one. If you have to fit in the third one, it's probably only Kyle McCord. He his stats end up being pretty good, but there was that middle portion of the game where you were feeling a little bit uneasy. But he ends the day twelve, uh, twenty-two of thirty-five, two eighty-six, and a touchdown. That touchdown to Marv that pushed it to twenty to six. Yeah, it's funny. People were critical of that. You know, that throw is a little bit behind Marv. Jalen Hurts made the exact same throw to AJ Brown last night. I didn't hear anybody complaining about the accuracy on that ball. Like. Why are we grading him on this absurd curve? It's He's a very good college quarterback. He's very, very good. He was better than Sam Hartman in the Notre Dame game. He's better than Drew Aller in the Penn State game. He's very, very good. Marvin Harrison Jr., Big Ten Co-Offensive Player of the Week. With who? J.J. McCarthy. Oh, come on. Yeah, I agree. That's <laughs> stupid. That's come dumb. On. That's real dumb, Big Ten. You, Marvin One's does against, against the, the number Browns. one pass defense in the country, and the other's against Michigan State, and you're saying those equate? Come on. God, I'm getting sick of this stuff. Game ball defense. Who do you got, Reese? And JT Tui Maluau. Yeah. Whenever uh, you said it with Austin, it's just like, have everybody wear Penn State helmets. Or just tell JT, this is Penn yeah. State every week. So it's go in the fourth quarter. Just They were talking about JT's fourth quarter last year in Happy Valley once the fourth quarter began. And he started the fourth quarter with an absolute monster sack. Mm-hmm. I also like the play from Sonny Styles out there. He was involved in some of those blitzing packages, you know, because he lines up everywhere. He had a sack on the day, so th- that was a guy who stood out to me. And just the defensive backs in general, because I can't remember who it was, but there was a play where they made the tackle, and they stood up, and they like feigned like they were sheathing a sword. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty cool celebration. I'll take that one. Yeah, it's... um. It's it's JT is a good one. I, I think he's the appropriate guy here. Like we're not going to overthink it. He he's been sensational now in two top ten matchups. He was unbelievable against Notre Dame, and now he's unbelievable against Penn State. So that's how you start to stack a resume and stack your legacy at Ohio State. Big Ten threat level. Who in the league impressed you this weekend, Reese? Just Michigan. It's uh, Michigan. I don't know if it's impressed. I mean, they shut out the Spartans, but yeah, they look the part. They do. Yeah, they're doing everything that they should be doing, especially once once Harbaugh came back from the suspension and that also started Big Ten play for them. They've looked even better than they did against the Patsy opponents from out of conference that they played the first three weeks. They win and they cover every week. That's uh, it's almost I mean, this was then they buried it like they're kind of leaning into the villain. They scored 49 and scored late in this game. Um, This isn't a threat level, but Greg Schiano has Rutgers six and two. That's a damn good job. That's the Buckeyes got to go out job. to Piscataway. Yeah. They got a really <laughs> tough your, uh, back stretch, too, Rutgers does. So you get the do, six wins but, when you can. But he's got him. He's bowl eligible. Um, you have our attention now nationally. Who do you got, Reese? Virginia. <laughs> On the CW <laughs> Network, you took everybody's darling. Because there was even talk after what Caleb Williams, what had happened to him in Notre Dame, was like, well, how about UNC's quarterback? And Virginia said, no. On the CW Network, take an L. UNC was in the top 10 and everybody was like, huh? And then they lost and go, okay, that that all makes sense now. Yeah. But uh, I think, don't look, but Bama's powering up, man. The way they, they turned it on in the second half and they, they were, they looked like they were going to get run by Tennessee and instead they go back the other way and actually end up covering, unfortunately. But the, yeah, they're going to be a team and it's kind of coming down. They've got LSU in a couple of weeks. That's really going to be a very important game in the SEC now. Folks, it usually I is. Told you, but at I the told beginning you, of the year, we were unsure. Forty to one. They were forty to one after the Texas loss. 
it's all there for them. I wrote down Bama too. I watched that game. Tennessee dominated them in the first half, and I thought, wow, this is. Do they have the firepower here? And boy, did they! What a response um, out of out of Alabama. Also, give. I don't know that any team in the country uh, personifies their head coach like Utah and Kyle Whittingham. I mean, he they are him. He is them, and they just bully SC now three straight um, and were clutched down the stretch in that game. It was interesting after the game they finally put Cam Rising on the shelf officially for the season. Gosh, no kidding! <laughs> like, jeez. All right, check. He had a great line there. about how. Um, you know, their quarterback's a Heisman Trophy winner. Ours was a pig farmer, and he played pretty good, too. So that was that was good. Um, I think I'll save the time on everybody. We're A on can it win at all grade, right? I mean, yep. you juxtaposed yep. everything else around the country. Yeah, you got two top ten wins. When the college football playoff poll comes out the first time, this team should be number one. Nobody else has a resume quite like that one. We'll go around the Big Ten coming up next. Bishop and Friends right here on The Fan. Your home for the Buckeyes, Blue Jackets, and crew. And our sincere apologies for common men singing Creed songs. The Fan, Ohio sports destiny. First Friday miracles are always better with Uncle Bo. This is Bishop and Friends. Hey guys, it's Chops. Let me hit you with some irony. So I found a Waken 180 at what I thought was the worst possible time. I was busy at work and junk food to help me get through on-air shifts. I was about to turn 30, so bye-bye metabolism and a list of excuses. Longer than a rant from one of my co-hosts here. But here's the twist. That worst time, it was actually the best time. All those so-called reasons I had to delay. They were basically screaming, hey, Chops, Awaken 180 is your perfect match. And it was. I've lost over 80 pounds fast food runs that wasted the precious time awaken 180 took away mealtime guesswork that's what made this so easy to go through it was a program that you had a plan and you could follow it and if you just do it it works i can't burn it off like when i was younger awaken 180 ensured that i still dropped the weight so what are you waiting for let's turn those cans into cans for you as well program works call 844-346-1800 or online at awaken180weightloss.com bishop and friends we're sponsored by awaken 180 fast sustainable weight loss without medications the solution for weight loss awaken 180 weight loss it wasn't quite like the nfl where the nfl was just drunk yes i mean just absolutely obliterated hammered yesterday with with what went on it wasn't that um you come out of this weekend in college football though and you say to yourself you have you start having those questions of who is playing up to their potential who is getting the most of who they are i'm not sure who that answer is we talked about alabama they were brutal in the first half absolutely brutal and then they were lights out in the second half against tennessee saban's record against tennessee by the way like 16 and 1 that's that was, a, last year was their ridiculous. first win ever against them yeah that's crazy does that include lsu time it too it includes the lsu okay, time yeah, wow. yeah but he basically does not lose to tennessee ever except for last year and you can see why they went nuts and uh it was really one of the great 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 games of the college football season a year ago by the way that the way that they talk about alabama tennessee is how they should how they could have been able to talk about ohio state penn state like for saturday in october this is what you do bama you know penn state plays ohio state but penn state doesn't want to do that anymore because they're tired of losing i suppose um the other games around the country that piqued the interest utah beating usc um i didn't usc chased this whole game they chased. Um, but Utah has a belief in that coach, in their process, and the way they go about their business. They have won three straight over Lincoln Riley and USC. And now USC has lost two straight games. They, uh, and there could be more coming because they still haven't played. They haven't played Oregon yet. They haven't played Washington yet. Those are still on they their schedule. They haven't played UCLA yet. They, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. it's it's tough. It, this was they've got four games left, and I think they've got Cal this week. But then it's it's I know UCLA's last, but then it's some combination of Oregon and Washington as well. It's going to be a tough run to the end for for them because. It really does appear that if you can get the timely stops that you need to defensively against USC, you're going to be able to score when you absolutely have to if you're a competent team. And so it's really just up to Caleb Williams and that offense to make sure they don't get stopped on some of those money possessions. And when they do, it leaves the door open for a team like Utah to just go down the field and make sure that they secure the victory. I feel like the Utes just bludgeon people to death. They do them. It's just been the <laughs> calling just... card against the Trojans. He's just like a hammer. He has to fire Alex Grinch, right? Oh. Oh, yeah, he'll have not. to because he's – so they, they're basically going – look, they're going to get a Heisman out of Caleb Williams, but um, he's not going to win a Pac-12 in his first two years, and so they will be resetting next year with their roster. That, now, they have the Balakai uh, – Nelson. Nelson, yeah. So they have him, who was the number one dual threat guy coming out of last year, so they have him in the wings. Um, but – Williams is obviously special, and to have two losses already is pretty remarkable. It feels like the the pressure of it all got to him with Riley's behavior with the media and then not making his players available this week. Just seems like the pressure of it all is getting to him. Uh, Florida State was in a dogfight with Duke for three quarters and then pulled away late in that game. Riley Leonard went out of that game in the second half uh, for Duke, and then that allowed Florida State to kind of pull away. We talked about Virginia's upset of North Carolina, where it could have actually been worse. Carolina kept getting opportunity. Virginia fumbled it at the one-yard line out of their end zone. They would have run up two scores in the fourth. Um, and Carolina still couldn't make it happen. Drake May drove them down, but then but then threw another pick. In terms of the Big Ten games, here's your moment, Chops, because um, I told you I would follow you. I know how much the pig means to you. So this is one of the most heartbreaking losses, and yet it also covers up the fact, and I believe I, ha- I saw this, they had negative two yards in the second half as an offensive football team at Iowa. Yeah, it was pretty bad out there offensively. So that's why, like, at the end of the day, you're, you're kind of like, well, it's not like they really deserve to win. But, man, for that punt to get taken off the board by the refs by reviewing it and going invalid fair catch signal, which nobody even on Minnesota, nobody on their sideline, nobody was calling for that on the play. So the refs go over there just looking for trouble and decide that this is how they're going to review it. Funny thing we were doing our show Saturday night while that was happening. So we were in break as Cooper DeGene fielded it and took it all the way back to take the lead for Iowa. So not only is that an Iowa victory, but it's an Iowa cover, which would have been another correct pick uh, in our pick. So I was, yeah. I was pretty excited. I was jumping up and down, going crazy. It goes to review while we're still in break, and we're thinking, oh, they're probably just looking to see if he stepped out on sure. the boundary there. Yeah. He, he caught it right by the sideline. Doesn't look like it, so I think this is going to stand. As we're coming back, I see Cooper DeGene r- r- a reaction shot from him on the sideline of the call. And I'm like, well, what did they call it? What is this? And Reese's searching the Twitter machine. He comes over and he's like, uh, invalid fair catch signal. And I'm like, what is that? I can't even do the rest of the show. I can't even do it. It was, it was a tough couple of like about five minutes there for I me to get over. I believe rejoined to me cackling. <laughs> PJ post game was pretty funny. Like he's like, we just beat one of the best teams in the country. Like he was all jacked up about it. I mean, it's the first time he's won at Iowa. Yeah. So he's all all fired up at that. They get to keep the pig, which is the best trophy. That's the answer, by the way. The best trophy in college football is the pig. Uh, the Floyd Rosedale is the is the correct answer to that. Here's how it affects you though, as a Buckeye fan. I don't know what happens in the West. I, I have no. I don't know what's going to happen. Fitting in its final year, it's mess. just whatever. Wisconsin will likely pick up their second uh, conference loss next week against Ohio State, and then everybody will have at least two losses in the West, and it's wide open once again. 
It's gross. Uh, Wisconsin is really not good. It took they were down a couple of scores. Um, they were down the whole game too. The whole game, yeah. They they rally in the fourth to win at Illinois, twenty five twenty one. Really disappointing uh, first season for Luke in terms of the look of it. Now he can fix it all with the win on Saturday night as as we head to Madison. But I think the Buckeyes open at what fourteen and a half. Yep. Did I see that right on Tipico fourteen and a half point favorites um, at Bucky on Saturday night. The West is an absolute. I can't figure debacle. out Illinois. Illinois spent the whole first five games of the year or so it's, telling us that they weren't good, that they didn't have whatever magic they had last year yeah. to get on that run. And then they, they go out there Maryland. and they beat a good Maryland team, and then they looked like they were going to beat Wisconsin as well. Yeah, it's I don't either. I, I just The other thing that I took note of is like Matt Rule in year one is with no offense whatsoever, an inability to do anything in the forward pass, only I was worse. Somehow Matt Rule is inching closer to bowl eligibility, something that eluded Scott Frost his entire tenure at Nebraska. What do they have left on it? And obviously they play Iowa the last game. He's at four wins right now, right? I think he's at four. That sounds right. Like they're four and two, I think. They're four and three. Yeah. Okay, so they've got four games left there. Purdue at Michigan State. They got five games left. Purdue at Michigan State, Maryland at Wisconsin, and Iowa. Purdue, see, Michigan State could be wins. He can beat them. Yeah. He can beat Maryland, too. Yeah. Maryland's no game they, busters. They shouldn't beat Wisconsin or Iowa, but the Iowa-Nebraska game, generally a close game, kind of can go either way. But Iowa's got the better of them much of the last eight, nine years. Iowa had negative two yards of offensive football and a half. And they were not playing the '85 Chicago Bears. Deacon Hill you have to try, is bad. You have to try to be that bad. Like you, you just to not get forward ever. It, you have to try. You really do. just snap the ball and fall over, and yeah, you just gain more than that. It's nuts. Uh, Brandon Marcella, our good buddy from the national side of the twenty four seven sports, joins us next. Bishop and friends, right here on the fan. The Daily Coach Ryan Day Show is brought to you locally by Credit Union of Ohio and by Hyde Park Prime Steakhouse on the fan, Ohio's sports destination. Us. After putting up with Tom Tiberi for a decade, the broadcast gods gave Bo these two. This is Bishop and Friends. All right, let's get some national perspective on the weekend in college football. We had on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems fan guest hotline conversation with our good buddy Brandon Marcel, National College Football 24-7 Sports. Uh, hey, pal, thanks for taking the time. Let's start here. Um, is Ohio State the most accomplished team in the country thus far? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, in fact, uh, I mean, it, listen, it, it, I don't want to downplay, obviously, just this weekend, but, you know, Penn State at this point is Penn State. They've hit the ceiling under James Franklin. This was their best opportunity, as had been discussed by many, to beat Ohio State. And the fact that they weren't even – never, I never even felt close in that game. It just seemed like you had two great defenses and then a Penn State offense that just wasn't going to really threaten enough to win the game. And having said that, Ohio State very solid. I – I've got some concerns with Kyle McCord. It just doesn't seem like he's as in rhythm as maybe he should be, and that concerns me at this point in the year. I just don't think Ohio State is the most accomplished team out there. In fact, I would even argue, despite what happened late Saturday night, that Washington is more accomplished because, in some ways, Oregon is better than Penn State 
and presents the type of challenge that an Ohio State uh, would need to, I guess, win to be able to maybe prove that they're maybe more will, more more deserving of being said that they have the most complete resume or win. Yeah, it's a you know it's we're all subjective, right? I mean, that's the beauty of the sport. It's why you love it. I'm sure it's a big reason. It's certainly a big reason why I love it because it's all just opinion. We're trying to make the most of it. And I certainly wouldn't argue that Ohio State's the best team in the country right now. They do have two top ten wins. Penn State was first or second in every metric that matters defensively. Certainly Washington has that great win against Oregon, but that Arizona State team was pretty bad uh, that they played and, and survived on Saturday night. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is, and I noticed this nationally throughout the weekend about, I mean, Penn State was seventh in the country coming in. And to your point, it never felt like they ever had a chance. Um, and it feels like what is happening is it's much more of a, that's a Penn State problem then Ohio State might actually be really good defensively. They played without Denzel Burke, no Travion Henderson, no Mecca Buka in the game either. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, Penn State's issue is that just they're always, it seems like, going to be under James Franklin, a two loss team. And they're not, and much like Ohio State, Ryan Day's record uh, in the Big Ten, it's great, other than against Michigan here lately. Um, it's just, you always, if you got one or two teams you can't get over, get over that hump, that could be what holds you back from one, obviously winning a national championship, or but but maybe even being considered a top five team every season. And that's Penn State. They can't get over two teams and yeah. they're in your own conference. And with Ohio State here lately, it's been Michigan and um I think the you know, sadly for Ohio State fans, I'll say this, I think the national perspective of Ohio State's gonna be uh, go beat Michigan, and then we'll put you in the playoff race. Otherwise, now it's just going to be Ohio State maybe in the top four or just outside of it for the rest of the season. Yeah, they, I think they understand that, that they, they have to beat Michigan, and, and that's it. And, look, Michigan's looked really good. They haven't played anybody of, of any note, but they're winning and they're covering, and um, it's something that – it is a monkey on Ryan Day's back. There is no question. Um, on the on the McCord conversation, I, I do think one thing that we're guilty of here is you're, you're not entitled to a first-round pick at quarterback every time out, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, look, Ohio State's gone three straight – quarterbacks who are first round picks the only other team i could think of in recent history and maybe there's one that you could think of is bama did it recently with tua and mac and they did it with bryce um i couldn't think of any other program in the 20 years i've been around the sport that they've done three straight first round well, picks so yeah yeah you could think well you could think of ou ou under lincoln riley not three though that's the quarterbacks well no we're not talking about first round talent yeah. we're talking about heisman winners man i mean no, we're no, talking no. about the best quarterback in the country yeah no no he's got two and they went number one overall but i'm saying I guess the bigger thing is, is, is Kyle being held to a standard that is historically almost unfair? Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think OU is, was in that similar situation. You know, they brought in Spencer Radler and he comes in and it's all like, well, he better be a Heisman winner. And right. the guy put up big numbers, but then some turnovers here and there and just wasn't consistent and they chased him off. Um, and now they're in the position now where they got Dylan Gabriel in there, a transfer from UCF and, you know, no one's going to be able to live, like practically no one's able to live up to the expectations of, well, you need to be a Heisman winner or a first rounder. And yeah, Ohio State's in that same boat there. But having said that, there are some things like Kyle McCord needs to be playing better in some certain circumstances and spots. And he's just missing some guys, um, you know, on the field when he's 
looking downfield. Um, and that's not to say he's a bad quarterback or even an average quarterback. I think he's a great quarterback, but he's not an elite quarterback that I thought he would be at this point. I, I thought he'd be a little bit better. Um, and, you know, we'll see. You're judged by your wins and losses, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and again, as you mentioned, he's missing a couple of pieces around him right now, and certainly that affects things, but, um, you know, he needs to raise his game a little bit. One guy who has raised his game is is Marvin Harrison Jr. We've we've had a receiver win the Heisman recently, Devonta Smith. Um, when with the comments you uh, about McCord, I think that's probably a national perspective as well about him, and I think it's probably fair. Um, can Harrison get in this thing? Like if he puts up some numbers like this until the Michigan game and has a moment, he's he's starting to build a resume, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think if he has three game, three more games here down the stretch of a hundred plus and. You know, one of those games he just kind of takes over. We get that feel of they won because of him. I, th- I think that it's very possible, um, if not probable, that he's in New York City uh, as a finalist and maybe one of the top two or three vote getters. You know, Michael Penix at Washington obviously had an off game this past week. Um, you know, uh, Caleb Williams is seemingly out of it now. Jaden Daniels at LSU is really rising up the charts right now. Um, but you know, listen, uh, as you said, history has shown us here now we're a little bit more open mm-hmm. to other skill position guys on offense at receiver. And, but I think Marvin's got to have, you know, probably like three more performances that are about on par with what we saw this past week, which is almost unfair to ask of a, of a receiver. But that's kind of the spot you're in when it comes to the Heisman Trophy these days. Yeah, that's kind of the standard, right? I mean, Devonta needed the Waddle injury and all that stuff to happen for him yep. to to kind of have that spotlight. And, well, we get the Abuka injury, so maybe that'll happen. Um, around the country right now, who do you think is playing the best? Oh, man. Forget That's their losses. Question. Like, who who do you think's playing the best? Michigan. I know, I know no one wants to hear that, but uh, it's Michigan. Um, and we talk about level of competition and, and all that, but they just smother everybody. They could play any style they really want. They could play against any style that they want. They're just smothering everybody. Um, you know, talk about the sign stealing allegations, all that stuff. But I don't think that's necessarily playing a huge role in the way that they're defeating and just beating up on people. I mean, we talk about the strength of schedule and all that, but the fact of the matter is they've won 20 straight Big Ten games. That's a school record now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're beating everybody by double digits. They're blowing them out. They're shutting out opponents. I don't care who you're shutting out. On the road, in a hostile environment, especially at Robert Graham, shutting them down and shutting them out, that's that's huge. So, um, listen, their, their only challenge remaining on that schedule, it, to me, is Ohio State. But And we'll see. Um, but to me, Michigan has been the most complete team from, from the start of the season uh, until now. And then secondly, I, I, I might say Florida State, to be quite honest. Um, they just, they got the big, big weapons on the outside offensively, defensively, they can get to the quarterback and they kind of explode in the late third to early fourth quarter against teams. Even if it's tight, they just explode because they're a little bit deeper and more, more explosive and faster. And Florida state to me has been really damn impressive. Yeah. And knowing, uh, knowing Harbaugh a little bit, he will lean right into this. 
sign-stealing stuff. He's very comfortable in the role of villain. He can't wait. I mean, it, he'll have those kids playing with their hair on fire for the next month. That one at the end of the year is going to be everything it's built up to be. It's going to be a monumental test for Ryan Day. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I mean, listen, obviously everybody can't wait for it. I, I can't wait for it. I do wonder when we talk, like, let's say three months from now or I say three months from now, man. It's, almost it's only a November. month, brother. Gosh. We're oh, going to be man. here before we know it. Oh, I hate that. Um, I know it. Like a month and a half, two months from now, I, I I think it's possible Jim Harbaugh gets out of it. Don't you? Don't you think well, he he's tried now? Brandon, he's tried last three, four years. They tried forcing yeah. him out. He took a pay cut. Then they gave him a they gave him money back. And then, the, I mean, last year on National Signing Day, he's interviewing two years ago with the Vikings on National Signing Day. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think he's dying point, to get out. I think at some point, I think he just, you know, we talk about fits and all that. I think he'll, yeah. just, he'll just leave. <laughs> just go, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to go take this job and I'm out. But, I, yeah. I couldn't it, agree more. It's incredible. Yeah. All right, buddy. Good stuff as always. Thanks for your time. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Brandon Marcello, National College Football Writer, 24-7 Sports. Three things on a Monday. Coming up next, Fishman Friends right here on The Fan. We aim to punch you in the face with as many games as we can. You're home of the Buckeyes, Blue Jackets, Crew, and Browns. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Pull up a stool and ask the bartender for something neat. Because Uncle Bo is on the radio. This is Bishop and Friends. All right, Race, what do we have on the poll today? The Daily Poll is sponsored by Dick Masheter Ford. Today's uh, Daily Poll, which you can find at 971thefan on Twitter, asks, who do you think is the best team in college football right now? 46% of respondents to the Daily Fan Poll, sponsored by Dick Masheter Ford, say Ohio State is the best team in college football. Michigan getting 34%, Georgia 15 other getting 4%. And, guys, the thing with other is you've got to, you know, name another. Please. <laughs> No, I'll just there, take the field. Or don't follow instructions, you see. There's by any by the metrics that we pay attention to in this sport, it's impossible to say that Ohio State is not the most accomplished. They have two top ten wins. Nobody else does. The end. Like that's that's the end of it. So are they the best? Well, that's subjective. You could say Michigan, you can say Georgia. I don't know if they're the best, but they're the most accomplished. They've got two top wins. We can't act as if that, that has not happened. Let's hit three things. One, two, one, two, three things. Sponsored by Custom Air. Custom Air. Custom Solutions. Custom Comfort. Number one for me, um, piggybacking off of those comments, this is what I think happened. I think a lot of national people bought stock in this Penn State team and bought stock in this circumstance and that this was the time for Penn State to get this win. And when they didn't, Rather than give credit for the team that suffocated Penn State, they are lashing out at Penn State and saying, well, Penn State can't ever be a serious team because they can't beat Ohio State. And they were seventh in the country. They were first or second in every metric defensively in the country. They have a first-round NFL pick at left tackle. They have two NFL running backs. They have a five-star at quarterback. Do not minimize what was accomplished because Penn State didn't live up to your standing for them. That's what I think is happening around the country that people are lashing out at Penn State rather than giving credit where it's due here. It's nice this time of year when you, you bring out, you know, you're bringing out some of your bigger jackets and everything as the weather gets colder, especially in the mornings. And today I uh, I walked out and 
I saw that shimmer on top of the car that said, oh, that's not just normal condensation. I think we're dealing with a little bit of ice, so I actually had to scrape my windshield. But luckily, laziness prevails as I was like, I wonder if I still have them. Check my work bag. Boom. Gloves still in there. Just didn't take them out all summer long, carrying them around this whole time. But they were still available today, so I got the windshield scraped. But it's here. I mean, Penn State only scored 12 points against Ohio State. What a bunch of bums. Uh, shout out to Team 125. Chris Holtman's squad beat Dayton 78-70 to yesterday in a charity exhibition. Yeah. Bruce Thornton led the way with 21 points. UD says they raised north of $500,000 for mental health awareness with the weekend of events that led up to that charity exhibition. So good job, everyone involved with that. Packed house, man. Do it again. Yeah, that was thir- cool. 13000 really cool. or so there. Yeah, yeah I, I love that Dayton Arena. I think it's just a sensational place. Uh, number two for me. So I was I was doing some some cleaning in the storage room, and I came across the boys when they were little. I can't remember which. If it was, I want to say it was NBC. He has uh, one of those. You remember the like FAO Schwartz giant stuffies? So yeah. they have like a giant. He's got a giant giraffe and then a giant orangutan uh, that kind of looks like King Louie from Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I looked at them, and Buddy was kind of cruising around in the main in the basement last night. And I thought, I wonder if I could have a little fun with this. And so, like, I had all the lights off in the storage room, and I just kind of peeked the orangutan around the door and looked at Buddy. My guy was not having it <laughs> at all. Straight up at attention, kind of panicky. Um, and finally, I didn't want to scare him too much. And so, like, I showed him that I was holding it. He would not even go near it. He would, like, come up next to me and, like, make me, like, try to get underneath my arm to protect him from the damn thing. It was absolute comedy. They do that little thing where he kind of puts his head up in the air and shakes it as he takes a step back. But he won't walk yeah. away from it. He has to keep it in his line of sight as well. Not having it, Dad. Not having it. Second one for me, uh, you know, Chops Review loading on this, but we saw Killers of the Flower Moon on Friday, and we knew what we were getting into. We, you know, usually want to check that out before you go into the theater. So we saw it as like a late matinee into Friday afternoon, and then it could go into the evening because it's three hours and 26 minutes long, which brings me to a point I've had before. Now, I was able to make it through, and I was okay, but definitely not the same for everybody that was in the theater with us. Movies over two and a half hours long should be required to have an intermission. Just a here's ten Does minutes. Does it need to be? Does that did that movie need to be three twenty? I agree with you on the intermission. Did it need to be? No, I don't think it needed to be. It's hard to like pinpoint exactly what you cut out because it's also based on a true story, and that's probably why like it ballooned so much. But the funny thing is, Martin Scorsese is always talking about like real cinema and everything, and it's like, yeah, but now you're making miniseries and putting Correct. them in theaters still. Yeah, past, I'd say, two hours, and it's likely a snoozer for me. So Um, long. What's not going to be a snoozer is Saturday, November 4th, uh, Piscataway, New Jersey. Rutgers is going to be hosting Ohio State. Bull eligible Rutgers hosting Ohio State at noon. It's going to be on CBS. I stole this from the dispatch's Joey Kaufman. The first time since 2015 that the Buckeyes matchup with the Scarlet Knights will be on network TV instead of James Laurinaitis' favorite Big Ten Network. It's true. He called a lot of those games through the years. Uh, number three for me. So I'm playing. We did like a Madden tournament with the boys. And so it was me and Beamsy for the championship. And he was up eight to seven in the fourth quarter. And with like two minutes and 13 seconds left, and he was kind of driving, the Xbox just turned off. Just turned off. And he goes, does that count as a win technically? And I said, no. It doesn't. We didn't get a chance to finish it. And usually on the Xbox, like it fires right back up to the game. Like it doesn't have to reset. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, it reset the whole thing. God bless it. Good Div- job out of that, Microsoft. No Divine dubs yet. Intervention. Yep. 
It's spooky season, as I've been uh, talking about throughout the entire month. And one thing that's not a movie, but I would like to recommend, we got through it in just a matter of days. Fall of the House of Usher is on Netflix right now. Um, it's an adaptation. It's one big narrative miniseries. It's eight episodes long, but a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe adaptations weaved into the story. So it gets pretty creepy. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it was a pretty fast eight episodes. They're about an hour long a piece. Mike Flanagan, he's the creator of this. He also did Haunting of Hill House and Midnight Mass for people who have seen those. Similar vibes here. Uh, TSN's Pierre Lebrun is report is reporting Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson's having a hearing with Gary Bettman sometime today uh, to appeal a four game suspension. He threw that elbow at Patrick Line with about five seconds left to go uh, yeah. in the third period of Friday's Jackets win over the Calgary Flames. Four games, ninety five thousand dollars. If anything, when Anderson goes into the commissioner's office, he goes, "Oh yeah, we thought four. Here's fourteen." <laughs> Good job. Nice weekend out of the Jackets as well. Reaction Monday continues. Coming up next, Rothwin and Ice. We're back tomorrow. Bishop and Friends right here on The Fan. If you're looking for the radio home of the crew, you've come to the right place. Because if we weren't, this promo would be very stupid. Proud to be your crew station, The Fan. It's a fan action update. The betting line for Ohio State against Wisconsin comes out as Ohio State as a 14-point favorite and an over-under of 43.5. Ohio State is now 7-1 to to win the national championship. Before that win over Penn State, Ohio State was 9-1. to Marvin Harrison Jr.'s Heisman odds have also significantly changed. He is now tied for the sixth best odds at 25-1. to For your action update, I'm Steady Vegas. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.